Hey guys, just want to let you know that this was all made possible and we're sponsored by MTG Matchmaker. If you ever try to get a spell table game going, can't find enough players, whether it's on the Playway Discord or any other various webcam MTG discords out there, you know, try MTG Matchmaker. It's the first crossplay server webcam matchmaking Discord bot, and it's a 100% free tool. It queues players across all installed Discord servers so you can keep your Discord community, but you can still connect with players from others. Originally, it was designed for just EDH, but they've expanded into other popular formats, including our beloved Pioneer and Modern. To learn more, you can go on their Twitter at MTG Matchmaker, or you could also join their Discord, which we have available in the description below. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. We are back after our week off because uh, scheduling being adults. Yeah, adults fucking suck. Well, I'm being adults with a six hour time difference can make it very hard to plan things. That is the biggest reason. Yes. Um, yeah. That you, yeah. It's it's that. It's the it's the six hour time difference. It's never like oh yeah you you've got the afternoon off and it's like it's night. <laughs> Like oh yes, <laughs> or I'm like oh yeah I've, I I could record now Brad I've got nothing to do today and you're like dude it's four a.m. <laughs> like, that's usually what happens. Look if we need to do a four a.m. recording one day I can do that. Just let me know. And would you be the type of person that then goes to sleep before or after the recording? Depends if I have work that day. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> In which case, even if I have work, I could still be like, we'll wait till the next night. <laughs> Just reset later. <laughs> But while we were gone, things happened. Uh, Pioneer Challenges have been firing. It's great. Uh, a lot of the uh, same decks we've seen have been topping and everything. Niv has kind of gone down a bit. We see the resurgence of Mono Black. We've even seen a couple of uh, options of Mono Green Walkers, whatever. That's cool. Great. Fine and dandy. But we're not going to go into that too much just because there's nothing really new to go over just what, what's interesting is because we didn't we had our uh our episode on like the 15 sort of main decks of the format and first of all thanks everyone for the amazing feedback on the episode it was very well received people were super happy about it i've heard multiple people say like it's my favorite episode so far and i was super happy to hear it uh it's been really great uh in that one we mentioned mono black aggro as an honorable mention well in the past seven days it's the third most played deck and we didn't mention Monogreen Planeswalkers at all, and it is actually on the meta page, like on the front page. It is the 13th deck, but like, it is kind of cool to see these uh, golden oldies uh, kept back. I, I could legit think this is people trying to format again with a deck they already knew when like back when people play a lot of Monogreen and Mono Black, and they're like, yeah, I know this deck. I'll, ju I'll just try a league with this deck, and they 5-0, and they're like, ooh, <laughs> this still works. But oh yeah. anyway, we've, as you're probably going into, we've had D&D spoilers. A. Yeah, and we're back on that one-week spoiler season schedule that they did a few months ago. Um, they didn't do it for Strixhaven, I don't think. They did it for the for Kaldheim before that? I think so, yeah. So, yeah. Holy shit. There's a lot. So we're, we're, we're already, like, neck-deep in spoilers. Yeah, but we're halfway through. We're recording. We purposely moved our recording a day, so we'd have more spoilers. We're currently recording on Wednesday evening, the 30th. Uh, well, evening for me, afternoon for you six hour time difference yeah um so we have a decent chunk of the set and we've definitely had all presumably had all the main mechanics by now uh, the main one being the dungeons which we will 
we will be talking about shortly. Um, yep. So we'll do our usual thing. We, um, we're going to go over mythic spoilers, just go uh, oldest spoiler to newest spoiler, and we're just kind of going to stop each other being like, hey, I want to talk about this card, I want to talk this about this card. Um, but the main one being, because this one was already spoiled quite a while ago, I think two weeks ago, it was Tasha's Hideous Laughter and the Flop or whatever. Yeah, the the floomf. Floomf. I have yet to encounter these in my D&D sessions. Um, I'd, hey, me too. You've never played D&D, haven't you? Have you? <laughs> uh, floomf is a cool politics and commander, awful card. Um, but Tasha's Hideous Laughter uh, is one we can touch on real quick. Um, so I'll just read the card real quick. It's uh, one blue blue. Uh, yeah, one blue blue. So three color, uh, three mana in total for sorcery. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with a total mana value of 20 or more. Um, if you want to know the math on how much this is, uh, Saffron Olive did a video on it, uh, probably at this point already, like a week and a half ago already or something. Um, I think he skipped Pioneer, which I was a little bit disappointed by. I think he did Standard Modern Historic Legacy or something. <laughs> like... Um, so I was a little bit, obviously a little bit disappointed by that, but I can already tell you, I don't think this card is good for Pioneer, and there's a very simple reason for that, and it's because multiple popular deck feature Delve spells, and that means the high, the average CMC in Pioneer is actually pretty high, like relatively high, because we have things like, oh yeah, but Phoenix is a whole bunch of one and two mana cantrips, yeah, and then there's an eight mana sorcery in there. Uh, control decks, Shark Typhoon which will often cycle, but is actually a 6-drop. Uh, Dick Through Time, also an 8-drop. Uh, Torrential Gearhawk is a pretty popular uh, finisher, which is a 6-drop. So I think you're gonna you're not going to mill as much. It's probably going to be comparable to Standard, where I think it mills for like 11.8 cards or something on average. And without trying to parrot Seraphon Olive too much, again, do watch his video on like a more in-detail thing on it. Maybe someone can even apply his method to Pioneer. I haven't found the time or, to be honest, could not be bothered to do so. Um, but the problem that with this card is that Exile is both an upside and a downside because mill decks can be hated out by mill, by like anti-mill cards like um, Gaia's Blessing or Eldrazi Titans, that sort of thing. But they also tend to get benefits out of their opponent's graveyard with cards like Into the Story, uh, Drown in the Log, Visions of Beyond um this doesn't double uh the amount of milling you do with fraying sanity because that counts cards being put in the graveyard so it's a little bit of a mixed bag with this exile being both an upside and a downside it does make it an interesting card and i do think the design is super cool i much prefer it over that old demir thing like until they hit four lands or whatever yeah i mean <laughs> if your opponent's playing oops all spells cool cool there <laughs> deck be gone <laughs> Apparently, there's a way to make that deck work now, um, even with uh, Balsherit Spy and uh, Undercity Informer, Under Informer being banned. There is a five-mana spell that effectively has the same effect as both of those. I do not remember the name of it, but you can technically make Oops All Spells work. But that's a sorcery, then. Currently? Yeah, and it's bad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> It's a really bad version of the deck. But... The biggest thing, we have the cool exile thing. I like the card. Um, but I think the first thing we should probably get into is the most interesting thing of the set. And then I have the second most interesting thing in the set following that. 
but we'll get to that in a moment. It's the dungeons. So we have a new ability uh, that is called Venture into the Dungeon. And Alex, what are dungeons? All right, so this is going to be a long one. So dungeons are, well, obviously it's based on Dungeons and Dragons. There is a whole bunch of cards that will, as they say, uh, venture into the dungeon. Now, for some reason, I always say, I, in my head, is always delve into the dungeon because Dungeon Delver is a feat in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but venture into the dungeon. So here's, for example, the card Shortcut Seeker. It is uh, four mana, three in a blue for a human rogue. Whenever a Shortcut Seeker deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. Now, what does venture into the dungeon mean? It means that there's three dungeon cards, which are sort of like small maps. Um, one is Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Tomb of Annihilation, and Lost Mine of Pandelver. Um, and if you aren't currently in a dungeon, when you venture into a dungeon, you can pick any of these three cards. They are always, I believe they are part of your sideboard, but they don't take up sideboard slots. So they're in your deck box. That's basically what it means, just like tokens. You pick any of these three, and they're sort of like paths. They're like pick-your-own-adventure books. And you take the first step in. Now let's... Pick-your-own-adventure sagas. Yeah, let's take... Um, let's take the Lost Mine of Fandelver. I'll read that one out first. So the first room you get into is the cave entrance. And when you enter the cave entrance, you scry one. So I have my shortcut seeker. I do damage to a player. Uh, I am now going to venture into a dungeon. So I'm going to pick the Lost Mine of uh, Vendelver, enter it, and scry one. You're now in the first room. Now, the next time, let's say the next turn comes, and I attack again with my shortcut seeker, and I get to venture again. Well, what happens? Now, now that I'm currently in a dungeon, I have to finish this dungeon before I can start another. Important to note, you can run the same dungeon again, So, which will be relevant when we talk about other cards. So we've scryed one, and now we can pick what way to go. We're going to pick either the Goblin Lair which gives us a 1-1 goblin token, or we're going to pick the mine tunnel, which is going to give us a treasure. Now, when we pick our second level, we then venture again, and we go to the third level. Now, because they're pick-your-own-adventure books, if you go one way, you might not be able to go another way. So the third layer in the mine is the storeroom, which gives us a 1-1 counter, the dark pool, each opponent loses one life, you gain one life, or the fungi cavern, target creature gets minus 4, minus 0 until end of turn. But when we went for the Goblin Lair, we now cannot go to the Fungi Cavern because it doesn't connect to this room. So our only options are to get a counter or drain our opponent for one. Then we do that one. We get to the Temple of Dumethoin. And that is the last room. We draw a card and we have finished the dungeon. And now there are certain cards like Gloomstalker. That is a 3-mana 2-3 and it says... As, uh, as long as you've completed a dungeon, it has double strike. And this goes the whole game. So even if you have, uh, even if Gloomstalker wasn't on the field when you completed your first dungeon, it now has double strike. Um, so that is the first dungeon, the mine. So we can scry one, then pick between a goblin or a treasure. Then we pick between from left to right, store room for a counter, drain one or minus four, minus zero to a creature until end of turn. And then we draw a card. Then we have the Tomb of Annihilation. Now this one is going to have a lot of negatives because for the people who don't play D&D, this is where people go to die. Pretty much if, you're, if your DM is done with you, they send you here. I think when you reach like higher levels, you basically become immortal in D&D. 
because the game isn't designed with the highest levels in mind, so your DM will send you here to make sure at least one of you dies. Um, we enter, and each player loses one life. Great. Now we can pick, we can either go to the oubliette, which says, discard a card, sacrifice a creature, an artifact, a creature... Uh, discard a land, sacrifices an artifact, sacrifice a creature, sacrifice a land. All downside. Or we go the left way around, each player loses two life until they discard a card, and then the oubliette actually is two rooms. So this one, we will need to go a second step to get to the same place as the oubliette would take us. The sandfall cell... Each player loses two life unless they sacrifice an artifact, creature, or a land. And then we get to the last room, the Cradle of the Death God. Create the, the Atropol, a legendary 4-4 black god horror creature token with death touch. So that is the Tomb of Annihilation. Now we get to the fun one, Brad. The long one. Yeah, this is the best one. Yeah, the, the, this one is by far the best one. The Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Yawning portal, you gain one life. Okay. Dungeon level, uh, then we get to dungeon level, scry one. Okay. Then we can pick between the goblin bazaar or the twisting caverns. The bazaar gives us a treasure token, and the twisting cavern says target creature can't attack until your next turn. Now both these will go into lost level, which is going to allow us to scry two. Then we can pick between the runestone cavern, which is effectively, it just says, exile the top two cards of your library, you may play them which I think the way it's worded means they effectively, quote-unquote, draw get drawn. Yeah. Because this doesn't say that they, you can play them until the end of your turn or something. Or we can go to Muriel's Graveyard and create two skeletons. Then we go to the Deep Mines and scry three. And then the final level is the Mad Wizard's Lair, which says, draw three cards, reveal them, and then you may cast one of them for free. Hey, that's Valky. Um... Draw Valky, you can cast the backside. Um, but those are our three dungeons. So it's clear that, like, they differ in speed. They have a lot of decisions. Like, the Lost Mine is actually the only one where going down a certain route limits your options later. Um, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage has 100 options, but every time you go to, like, a shared room and then you can pick again. So it's not like I go the right way around or I go the left way around. You can zigzag however you want. That was a mouthful, like Brad. You you give your first <laughs> take on this and then I'm going to take a breather. My first take is I wish... So I understand you don't want to overdo it. Um, they did say that uh, every pack you're guaranteed to get one of the dungeons. So these are going to be all over limited. So that's going to be cool for the limited environment. Um. But I wish there were more, and I wish there was one where if you went a certain way, it's a dead end, and you have to like go a different route that leads you up again, and then back around. Brad, these are printed on a magic card, not on an A4. You could do it. You 100% do it. Look, look, okay. So imagine Dungeon of the Mad Mage, right? Um, imagine uh, you go Yawning Portal, Dungeon Level 1, uh, the Scry 1. And you go Goblin Bazaar, and then Lost Level, uh, like, let's say Goblin Bazaar is a dead end to get the treasure token. And then there is a side room, like, in the Goblin Bazaar, that essentially takes you back up to the level one, and then you have to go around the other side. Like, it, you just, it, you lose a thing. Yeah, okay. I, I, I feel like, so I get what you mean, and I think this 
mechanic had a lot more in it, but it would make it unbelievably complex. And I already feel like dungeon, as much as some of them are pretty simple, I think dungeons is probably the most complex mechanic ever put in this game. Yeah. Um, we had mutate in Ikoria which had a lot of rules implications. But once the rules implications were clear, the mechanic was pretty self-explanatory, right? Like, it, it already explained, you know, you put it under or above, but there was always these questions like, what if I counter this? What if I bounce it? What if I kill on the stack? What if I do this? What if I do this? But once those questions were answered, it's a pretty simple mechanic. This is, gameplay-wise, super complex. And as we'll talk about later... Uh, there are some cards that, like, reward you for completing dungeons, like, just whenever you complete a dungeon, like, make a token or something. So you're encouraged to run the Tomb of Annihilation over and over, because it's the shortest one. If you just go Trapped Entry, Oubliette, Cradle, that's three steps, you've done the whole dungeon. Where the Mad Mage takes seven steps, at least. And the Lost Mines takes four, at least. So the Tomb of Annihilation is the fastest one. But... That is going through the Ubiet, which has a lot of downsides. So do I instead want to go through the Lost Mines and get all upside? But it does take longer. Does this differ per game, per card? Maybe if I swap this one card in my deck, I should be spamming Tomb of Annihilation. But I sideboard this one card in, and now post in the postboard games, I should be spamming the Lost Mine. And... In that way, it's kind of funny because Dungeons and Dragons like is very diverse. You go a lot of different ways. This reminds me of World of Warcraft, where like you need that sword from the last boss of that one dungeon. So instead of clicking random dungeon and getting one of ten unique and fun dungeons, I'm gonna do the same one over and over again. I do feel like that is what's going on with this mechanic. I think people are gonna be spamming one. And the question is to figure out which one should I be spamming given my deck. I will say, when it comes to like uh, the when you complete a dungeon kind of thing, the lore or the flavor of it is super like cool to me. Because the way they explained it in the video when they reveal like Gloomstalker, for example, which is the three mana, two, three uh, dwarf that says as long as you've completed a dungeon, he has double strike. And they're like, yeah, he takes one look at you. He knows you're a badass. You've gone through dungeons before. So he's like, I respect you. I'm going to be a better fighter for you now. Like, yeah. I like that <laughs> flavor. It's so cool. Um, yeah, like, I'll say my initial reaction when I saw this mechanic is I wasn't hot on it. I was like, I don't know. But now that I've seen some of the cards and I've had more time to think about this, I really like this mechanic. And I don't know if it's going to be good. And I made the tweet, and I still believe that. If anyone tells you right now dungeons are good or bad, they're wrong. It doesn't matter if they're right in the end. If they say it's good and it turns out they're good, they were still wrong. Because it's impossible to know. There's too many options, too many payoffs, too many enablers. What I will say is that it reminds me of lessons and learn cards. Where the strength of one is going to be deterministic whether or not the other card type is playable and vice versa yeah because i've been thinking i mean so far we've seen a lot of good ones yeah uh yeah so we've seen some venture cards which are really like actually this is a very good way to reliably venture through dungeons numerous times per game now the question is are the dungeons worth it and 
I'm thinking, like, for example, the, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage is maybe the easiest one because a lot of the mechanics are more straightforward. You're getting treasures, you're getting tokens, you're getting you're scrying, you're drawing. And they seem that they can be flexible enough for yeah. any kind of deck, yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking, on average, is delving into the dungeon going to be closer to a scry or closer to a draw in value? And depending on where it falls in the spectrum, I think that's going to make or break effectively both cards, whether the dungeons are worth it and therefore whether or not the venture cards are worth it. Like, yeah. one, it's a pretty recent spoiler. We'll talk about it later. It's a two-mana two-one, and if it attacks alone, it's unblockable. When it connects, you venture. If it turns out that dungeons are good enough that they're close to a draw... This means that this card is a one-drop with a Curious Obsession on it. On one card. Yep. That's incredible. If it's closer to a Scry, that card isn't very impressive. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there are, like we said, some pretty good and really interesting, um, you know, uh, creatures or just cards in general that venture. Now, my immediate thought when I saw Dungeons and we saw the first maybe two or three venture cards... I was immediately thinking of runes in Kaldheim, where we didn't see the runes yet. We saw the like the the really good card for runes, right? That that dwarf, and I was like, "Holy shit, runes are gonna be busted!" Because this card is so good. And then we got the runes, and we're like, "Eh," and they don't see play. You also you only got five of them, and and that was due to it being an overly stacked, way too cluttered uh, set. That's a that's a different thing. I thought that here. So far, I don't think this is runes. And you start with Nadar, Selfless Paladin, the three mana, three, three legendary dragon knight has uh, vigilance. Cool. It's fine. Statted. Um, and it says whenever it enters the battlefield, Coco hit or attacks. It is a Coco hit. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you venture. And on top of that, other creatures you control get plus one plus one as long as you've as long as you've completed a dungeon. So it's a banalish marshal that's easier to cast if you complete a dungeon, and it ventures every time it enters or attacks. And I'm seeing a lot of ETB ventures so far. Maybe uh, Azorius Blink. Like Charming Prince and stuff like that could be a thing. <laughs> Panharmonicon dungeon venturing. I like it. Yeah. Like you see Cloyster Gargoyle. It's a, it's a three mana 04 Gargoyle, two and a white. When Cloyster Closter, is it Cloyster? Yeah, it's Cloyster. Uh, enters the battlefield adventure. As long as you've completed a dungeon, it gets plus three plus so and has flying. So it becomes a three four flyer for three after you complete a dungeon. Like, but then you get a really bad one like this. I'm so mad about this card. The Dungeon Crawler is horrible. Yes. It's a one mana, two, one zombie. Ender's Battlefield tapped. We've seen that a million times between zombies and skeletons. That is the normal stat of modern zombies that are one drops. Whenever you complete a dungeon, you may return Dungeon Crawler from your graveyard to your hand. Okay, this should have been one of two things. It either should have been to the battlefield every time you complete a dungeon, which is already bad. Or every time you venture, it comes to your hand. Now, I would like it to be every time you venture, it comes back to the battlefield tapped. And I don't even think that'd be too strong. So 2-1, do it. I, Give me the better card. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how I'd, how I'd fix this card, but um, I don't know, have it under untapped or whatever. But I think uh, an interesting 
card that was also spoiled. They start off with some interesting cards. Is um, I love the name too. I don't know this character. Eliwick Tumblestrom, which just sounds like... Look at her frog. Look at her pet frog. <laughs> yeah, she has a cute frog. And her name makes her sound like she's Benedict Cumberbatch's cousin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Eliwick Tumblestrom. It even fits. Um, but because her... Uh, I don't think this card's particularly good. But two green green. Starts with four loyalty. Eliwick. Plus one. Venture into the dungeon. Okay, this... Okay, start. Minus two. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may review a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. If it's legendary, you gain three life, and the rest goes in the bottom of your library. It's all okay. This is this planeswalker feels surprisingly blue <laughs> rather than green. But then you get to the ultimate. You get an emblem with creatures you control have trample and haste, and get plus two plus two for each differently named dungeon that you've completed. So we haven't seen a lot of cards. I think this is the only one that awards you for completing differently named dungeons. I think all the other ones just say whenever you complete a dungeon or if you've completed a dungeon. And that makes me worried, again, that people will figure out, oh, this is the best dungeon for my deck and start spamming it, um, which kind of defeats the purpose of what... that does. That's really not the flavor of D&D. You don't really go back to a dungeon... I feel like once you've cleared everything up, right? You go back to the Tomb of Annihilation and you get this legend and you visit this legendary location again. You've already been, right? You've already got the loot. Why are you here again? They're just confusing D&D for WoW. It's okay. Not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. You go back to the dungeon, the boss is back, you can kill him and you have a 75th attempt at the sword and you don't get it. Yeah, and then you're already level 20. And then you're back there for the 76th attempt. And it's a one hit instead of a 10 hit. And then you're like, <laughs> okay, 500 XP. Do it again. Do it again. I did that in Castle Crashers all the time. It was great. <laughs> so, moving on up. Well, I've been talking a lot. Brad, what card are we talking about next? Why are you excited for... I'll tell you, I'm not excited for the um, the big old dino, Tarask. Yep. It's kind of bad. It's, uh, it's just really big. It's not just kind of bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Okay, look, it's a limited bomb. <laughs> it's that. But, I mean, look... It's six six in triple green for a 10-10. It's a legendary dinosaur. Enters the battlefield. If it was cast, it gains haste and ward 10. Whenever it attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. Now, these words are good. The words on the card are good. Good words. <laughs> but it doesn't have ev- uh, it doesn't have evasion, doesn't have trample. I mean, it has evasion in the sense of ward. But you don't give a shit about Ward being on your giant thing if it doesn't have Trample, because they're just going to chump block it with a Death Toucher. It doesn't have Indestructible. It doesn't have um, anything really that's... Look, the fight part is awesome. I would love to see this on more creatures moving forward. Whenever it attacks, you can clear a blocker. That's cool. But what if their only blocker is a fucking Death Toucher anyway? Does fighting wait? Does fighting work with that that way or no? They deal. They, yeah, they deal. Okay, yeah. So it dies. You know what I also find funny? This card can be countered. They could have easily slapped can't be uh, can't be countered on it, and I would have been like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's still bad, but like, it's so weird. It's so weird that like you look at green cards in the year twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. And this is the green mythic. 
it just doesn't it doesn't feel like an actual green mythic right it just feels bad well that's a good thing but i think it does a disservice to how legendary the tarasca is in dnd like this thing's supposed to be scary if my opponent drops this card i just laugh i think and think of the 17 ways i have to deal with this card because it's nine mana and it doesn't even have the haste when you reanimate it like it has it doesn't have the haste nor the ward unless you've cast it if you reanimate it, it's just a it's just a ten ten that fights when it attacks. Nothing else. You can play it in elves, so you can cast it a bit earlier. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the card. I have better things to do in elves, which we'll talk about later. Though I do like, I do like the cycle of lands we're getting. Um, there's a few of them. I mean, we we've seen four out of five. We've seen the blue, the black, the red, and the white. I think the white's the best one. But um. It's uh, Hive of the Eye Tyrant, uh, Hall of the Storm Giants, uh, what's the white one? Uh, Cave of the Frost Dragon. Cave of the Frost Dragon. And green is... Cannot find it. Cannot find it on this page. Doesn't matter. It's, a, it's another one. Um, we'll probably scroll past it. Oh, we don't, we, don't have, we don't have the green one. We have the red one. It makes the Rival Master. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Den of the Bugbear. So they're all lands that enter the battlefield tapped... If you control two or more other lands. So it's like a slightly worse fast land. They are the fastest lands. Yeah. If they're your... They they enter... as a, So with the way they're worded, it is slightly different from fast lands. Fast lands will enter untapped if they are your third land. And once they start being your fourth land, they will enter... Um, they'll enter tapped. These already enter tapped when they're your third land. I don't quite know why they've done this because it's a little bit confusing and I don't think it does too much to the power level of the... Well, it might actually be pretty detrimental for the power level of the cards. But generally, we have colored manlands with upsides enter battle, enter the battlefield tapped. So I guess it's an upside that you can like cast a Thoughtseize of Hive of the Eye Tyrant. Yeah, that's nice. Or you can go Night of the Ebon Legion. Like, I could see... Maybe you go mono black uh, aggro with it. Though, here's a question. Okay. Alex, what have we seen with the evolution of our monocolored decks in Pioneer? Especially mono black, whether it's vampires or, or uh, aggro. What, what? They want swamps. What kind of swamps? Either snow covered or basics, but they want swamps for Castle Lock 3. Yeah, and almost always the snow because we run Faceless Haven now in addition to your Muta Vaults. So do you... Ah, yes. You're already running... You're already running a lot of uh, manlands. Now, in standard, these are going to be cool. Well, but I can imagine you just, you drop the snow thing. You drop the snow thing, and your Faceless Havens becomes Hive of the Eye Tyrant. Is this better than Faceless Haven? I think it might be. So, I'll read it out. So, it does enter, uh, again, it enters tapped unless it's your first or your second land. It taps for black. And for four mana, you activate this until end of turn. Hive of the Eye Tyrant becomes a 3-3 Black Beholder creature with Menace, and whenever this creature attacks, exile target card from defending player's graveyard. It is still a land. So, important to note that this Graveyard Hate, which is an interesting addition, is on attack. So even though it has Menace, so it's already going to be hard to block, but you will get your Graveyard Hate, which I really like. I think compared to Faceless Haven, it 
it prevents the bricks of having too much colorless mana because you haven't found an Urborg yet, which is something I really like. Um, obviously, it does start entering tap pretty soon, and Faceless Haven never does. Uh, you can also play prettier basics because snow-covered basics are awful. But or you can play my token. That's aesthetic, not actual gameplay. Or my emblem. Play my emblem. True, but that's not gonna work. That's not gonna pass it well. Um, eh. Oh crap! You have that four drop from Kaldheim. Guess I just forgot to show you this. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Um, we'll let's see. Uh, I'll, I'll read these four out real quick. Uh, we've got half the storm giants. This is the blue one. And for six, it beca- uh, six mana to activate. It becomes a seven-seven blue giant with ward three, big boy. Uh, Den of the bugbear, four mana. It becomes a three-two when which with whenever it attacks, create a one-one red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking, so it makes more bodies. And the blue one, uh, sorry, the white one that we know for five mana becomes a three-four white dragon with flying. I think the white one's the best one. Think, uh, I like the black one more because it has an ups and like I like that graveyard hate a lot. And maybe maybe I'll just buy it because it really reminds me of Creeping Tarpit. Hard to block, three power, like nice, nice. I think I don't know. I, I like so they obviously go in different decks, right? So Hive would go in like a mono black aggro deck, maybe vampires even. And the white one I would probably put in like a Azorius control deck, right? Um because initially I was, I was kind of memeing when I sent it to you. I was like, hey, here's your control finisher in the hall of the uh, the, the giants. <laughs> Which, you know, it, I it's mean, a it's, fucking big it's, boy, uh, but it's six. It's it's effectively seven mana because it's tapping itself or using itself, right? Yeah. Um, as an attacker. So it's effectively seven mana for a seven, seven with ward three. Okay. And I thought about this. I'm like, ward three is cool and all, but... Are you holding up mana to counter my four mana fatal push to kill this? That I'm happy to not have to worry about in game one? Like, to, that that's completely dead? Or, I mean, I don't know. Like, you effectively have the same issue with the other one, but it's five, six mana instead of seven. Um, and uh, maybe you could hold up. Like, I don't know. I like the flying aspect of it more. It's a seven, seven that doesn't have yeah, trample for this. So I like the dragon. It's just reminiscent of Celestial Colonnade, which was a staple in blue-white control for years. Yeah. It's fallen by the wayside a little bit, but... If only that was Pioneer Legal. Um, it's very reminiscent of that card. Ooh. I mean... Oh, yeah, then I'd have Creeping Tarpit. Please give it to me. I've been trying Wandering Fumarole recently, and it is a good card, but it is just not Creeping Tarpit. Creeping Tarpit's my boy. Um, But... We have a lot to cover. I don't know if there's anything you want to say before these, before we can talk about our next very exciting card. Very exciting card. Um, I'm looking at the screen right now, and I see a few cards that are kind of exciting. It's the Owl Bear, isn't it? Definitely. All right, let's talk about the Owl Bear. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm only going to touch on this. Obviously, this wasn't the intended card, but we can touch on a flavor thing that they've done here. Owl Bear. Uh, three green green for a bird bear. A 4-4 with Trample, and it says Keen Sense. When Owlbear enters the battlefield, draw a card. Now, some people might think, is Keen Sense a new keyword? It's like, no. This is flavor. So what they've done this set is that they have named... uh, They've done this with some modal cards too, but they've named abilities after spells or abilities or even actions you can take or things you can do 
in D&D. So this says Keen Sense. And there is a card that has an option to gain life. And it says Cure Wounds. But that doesn't actually mean anything. This literally just says ETB draw a card. But the Keen Sense is flavor. So if you get a little bit overwhelmed by that when you read some of these cards, keep in mind most of these, but that's a confusing thing, most of these are flavor. But this next one, Brad, is most definitely not flavor. Uh, if we're looking at the same card, it's kind of flavorful. I'm looking at the red card. I'm also looking at a red card. Yes. Now, this one isn't flavor because this keyword shows up. That's what I meant. Oh, oh, that. It is okay. one red for an for an O one menace. Hmm. Pack tactics. So this is an actual keyword. Hey, hey, hey. When what, minion... The, yeah. What's the typing of the card? It's a kobold. They're back, and there's the... Oh, yeah, it has something to do with dragons. Of course, it's a kobold. Also, also that's the flavor. Uh, an O one one menacing kobold is fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah, but kobolds have always been O-1s, right? One of the kobold of Care Keep? Yeah, they're garbage. Yeah, they're bad. Yeah. It's the point. <laughs> and like, and there, was, there were... I saw, a, I saw a kobold storm deck in Legacy, and it was hilarious. It ran a glimpse of nature, and then its whole deck was just filled with zero mana draw ones because it played these and Memnite and Ornithopter. And anyway, Minion of the Mighty, one red for an 0 1 menacing kobold with pack tactics. Whenever Minion of the Mighty attacks, if you attacked with creatures with a total power of six or greater this combat, that's what pack tactics is, then you may put a dragon creature card from your hand onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. This is a turn two kill in standard, hilariously enough. Yeah. And that means it also works in Pioneer. Now, I didn't come up with this. I saw this on Reddit like five minutes after the card was spoiled, because, of course... It was uh, Crokies, right? Could be, yeah. Uh, probably the, the person who spoiled this, I'm going to assume, immediately broke it. Um... So if you give this guy, if you infuriate him twice, so you play him on turn one, they go infuriate, infuriate, which is one red, give a creature plus three, plus two. It becomes a six, five. You attack with menace, and you put a card from Theros Beyond Death on the battlefield, which I believe was in these, like, promo extra packs. I don't think this card is actually in the set. Yeah, it's the same thing with the, the Minotaur Warcry thing. Yeah. Uh, Terror of Mount Velus which, whatever the mana cost is, it's 7 mana for dragon. 5-5, five, five, flying double strike. When Terror of Mount Velas enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain double strike. That means that your minion of the mighty is a 6-5 menace double strike, and your other creature is a flying 5-5 five, five double strike. That's 22 damage. Through a blocker, by the way. So it has to be done through removal. You, your opponent has to remove your card, otherwise it doesn't do anything. Now, this is probably not going to be good. No. But it's um, hilarious. I'm always sad, because when I think of big dragons getting dropped into play, I think of Dracoseth. Um, but unfortunately, when it says tapped and attacking, it doesn't trigger the Dracoseth attack trigger of dealing damage, and I get really sad about that. Yeah. It, it's the same with uh, Atarka World Render, um, which whenever a dragon attacks, it gains double strike, but Important to note for people who aren't familiar with this, if a creature enters the battlefield tapped and attacking, you don't get attack triggers because it already is attacking. So you never declared it an attacker, it never wasn't attacking. 
And that means those type of triggers don't work. So you have to look for enter the battlefield effects or huge power and toughness um, in order to make this work. But again, it's hilarious. Uh, in Pioneer, you could make this work by playing Gruul and playing Giant's Growth, which is another one-mana pump spell that gives three power. Uh, in Modern, if you want to try that, you can play this with Reckless Charge, which is one red for plus three plus O in haste, which would be an interesting way to enable this card. If you go like turn three, this guy infuriate Reckless Charge. Now it's hasted and attacking for six. So you can immediately pull this off. So that's an interesting one. Um, but overall, super exciting, but bad. The art is also great. It just looks... It looks like that meme. Do you know that man too angry to die? Yeah. Love it. I like it. Now, there's some other cards here. Um, we can very briefly go over them. Uh, at least two of them. Sphere of Annihilation. X and a black for an artifact. Sphere of, Sphere of Annihilation enters the battlefield with X void counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile Sphere of Annihilation. All creatures and planeswalkers with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it and all creature and planeswalker cards in the graveyard with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it. Now, I misread this the first time. I thought it didn't exile itself. And I was like, holy shit, it just keeps keeps wrathing the board every fucking turn. <laughs> Which, that would have been wow. insane. Uh, unfortunately, it does not do that. Yes. Uh, Imagine putting this thing on zero and tokens just don't exist anymore for the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah. They have standard has to ban it because just like Ferocidon, because they're like, it just it just takes out an entire archetype. We can't we can't have that happen. <laughs> it just means we cannot have things put tokens onto the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, it's just every upkeep. No. <laughs> Bye-bye. I wish that's how it worked. Imagine having four of this. One imagine having four, one on zero, one on one, two, three, four. <laughs> my god yeah this you would sphere tribal you would love this card if it didn't exile itself because you're like yeah i know what don't deal with you ever again yes it would be absolutely unbelievable turn three x equals two but in the world that it does and you're like ha burn can suck it <laughs> but in but in the world that it sadly does brad yeah what do you think of this card it's cool um it's a really really cool card it's an interesting take on um, on a sweepers. Uh, I actually like this. I was kind of getting fit. It's weird. We talk about getting fatigue with like spoilers, for example, because like we just had some. There's Modern Horizons that just happened, um, things like that. Uh, there is a lot of product fatigue. I've actually been getting sweeper fatigue because there's been what three sets in a row with like pretty solid sweepers in them. Yeah. And every time we're like, holy shit, that's a good sweeper. And then they just don't see play because <laughs> everyone's like, but Supreme Verdict. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So so to see them instead of just be like, you know, how can we push the envelope a bit with, uh, with a sweeper as far as its mana cost is concerned? This is a very unique way of doing it. Um, I think this could have a place and could be playable. It's just not going to be it's it's kind of weird and hard to evaluate the fact that it works on your upkeep makes me kind of like i don't know it's like a ticking it's literally a ticking time bomb right you you place it down and you say x equals five for example and let's say you're going against someone who um who knows 
like you're basically telling them don't overextend right now. And then maybe that make forces them to hold back that five mana card, like a who shakes the world or something like that. And to be like, okay, I can't, cause I can't remove this right now. So I'm just going to let this go off next turn and I'll lose my, whatever I have after I get this attack in, but then I can rebuild next turn. Meanwhile, control player over here is like, I have counter spells now for that Nissa. <laughs> um, so yeah, exactly. It, it gives you that clean slate, which is really interesting. Yeah. It, it's super unique. We'll see how it goes. Um, at the end of the day, Supreme Verdict is just going to keep being played or, uh, you know, your languish or, uh, ritual soot, um, extinction event shadows verdict there are so many sweepers jesus christ yeah yeah like i i know for a fact that this is already that oh wait yeah. four four sets in a row we had what, what was the one last what was the one last uh it was the uh the mastery one right the white one from strixhaven it's the mastery sweeper devastating mastery and culling ritual yep and then the one before that in caldheim we had uh doomscar doomscar in uh what's it called we had shadows verdict in zendikar right we had extinction event in ikoria yep do we have anything in m21 i have no idea i always forget what's in corsets <laughs> you just kind of look at the symbol like oh well by the way wasn't the corset after ikoria it was that's that's what i'm trying to think like that's because i skipped that because i knew ikoria's oh yeah um I, four of the last five sets we've had five anyway sweepers lots of good sweepers yeah um I know already for a fact that this one isn't making my top five because uh, for a change there, there might still be a sweeper in my top five. We never know. There's always this hidden sweeper in my top fives, um, but it's super cool design. I really like the design. The problem with it being an artifact is that artifact removal, even in main decks is super common. And I don't, because it just stapled onto a lot of cards. And in that way, I do not like my gruel aggro opponent to be able to shatter my sweeper. Um, now, I understand being sort of, like, careful with this design, because it is really good in a vacuum. It's kind of like putting a sweeper on suspend. Um, but obviously the problem being is that you can't interact with suspend, you can interact with this. I mean, there's, you can wasteland strangler your opponent's suspended sweeper, I guess, but nice. generally speaking, there isn't. That would be a really big brain play. What I'm missing, or I'll say, if they get a redo on this card, this sort of design... I would want it to have an extra line, something like three mana, set it off now. Um, maybe like a kicker, right? And it says, maybe that's even better. You give it like kicker three, uh, if kicked, it triggers immediately, however it would be worded, uh, which would make it really expensive, but gets you like the option to like, hey, I'm going to play this for, you know, my opponent has a lot of tokens, X equals zero, immediately blow it up and... Uh, sweep all the tokens but it by default it doesn't do that but again that's three recrafting i think the design is super cool uh this could definitely be a lot better than i'm giving it credit for all right so the next card i want to go over is a uh, flame skull it's another mythic so i'm really happy that this is a card looks really cool as someone who loves rekindling phoenix with all of his heart um but i can never bring myself to sleeve it and play it in pioneer because i'm just like i think it's bad but I haven't playtested with it, so who's to say? Flame Skull is 1, 2 red. It's for a 3-1 skeleton. It has flying and it cannot block. Then it has rejuvenation. When Flame Skull dies, exile it. If you do, exile the top card of your library until the end of turn, 
uh, or I'm sorry, until your next turn, the end of your next turn, like I have the stage, uh, you can play one of those cards. And then it has awesome reminder text. If you cast Flames uh, Skull this way, you can't play the other card and vice versa. Great job. Uh, this is so fucking good. Um, now, I don't know if it's... Let me, let me backtrack. I don't know if it's so good like in Pioneer. I think it's going uh, to be an awesome card in Standard. And I think it's really cool and unique that it replaces itself in a way. And it can recur. Even though you're still spending three mana over and over and over again. But the option of like, is the other card better? Cool, go that way. Like you kind of have the option of going into something that curves. I like this card a lot. I think it's really cool. The flavor's cool, and uh, I think it's going to be an underrated card in the set. Brad, how much better is this card than Squee? Um, a lot better. I don't think it's that much better. It's at least it's at least one card better than Squee. <laughs> I mean, you get something. You get the option, but you can. If Squee gets countered, they can play it again. You can discard Squee to an effect and get value out of it. It's a goblin, which I guess is a better pair. Yeah, this is a little bit, but Squee's a but Squee's a two-two better. Pro- it's it's probably it's a two-one. I think it's probably better than Squee, but Squee is really bad. So how much better than Squee is this? Is probably the question. It's evasive, which is obviously always good on creatures that are kind of shitty on rate. Um, I do, I do think it's interesting. I like the idea of like, is this card better than Flame Skull, or do I just take another Flame Skull? I wish I had haste. It's kind of like uh like Doctor Eggman, where he can't pick, and then he just hits the random machine. And when you're sort of like, you need to pick between Flame Skull and the card, it's like I don't know. I'll just pick Flame Skull again. I'll see next time. <laughs> now, I did say earlier that I, I when we brought up dungeons, I'm like, okay, this is the most interesting thing in the set. Now it's time for the second most interesting thing. Alex, what is one of the most prominent things that you will need at your D&D table every campaign you have? D20s. Yes, you need your D20s. And with D&D Forgotten Realms, we have cards that do things if you roll a D20. The first one being Treasure Chest. It's three mana for an artifact. And then you can pay four sacrifice treasure uh, treasure chest roll d20 if you get a one trapped you lose three life well that sucks if you get two to nine create five treasure tokens 10 to 19 you gain three life draw three cards if you roll a 20 you get to search your library for a card if it's an artifact plop it on the battlefield otherwise put it to your hand and then you shuffle now alex i know your favorite thing about card games is RNG. What do you think about this card? Or this, and, and this is not the only card, by the way. We have a bunch of these that all do something, and they all do something really fun if you get a 20. So, I will start off by saying that overall, I'm okay with this, because a lot of these cards, you have, uh, yeah, I know. as Brad disappears, are you still there? Okay. <laughs> just I just oh. suddenly <clears throat> got to see my own face, and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> that's a much more pleasant sight um, <laughs> um i've seen like some limited ones which are like clearly not going to be good outside of drafts and pre-release and i think it's super cool that we're playing a dungeons and dragons sets so we're rolling d20s right treasure chest in particular oh we get a couple right i fucking hate this card this is one of my least favorite cards of all time and it's not because the card is particularly good 
but because the gameplay involving this card is never enjoyable. Um, at least, well, it's, it's never good gameplay. So, um, this card effectively says three mana. You have a 5% chance to lose the game because you've spent seven mana and if you've lost three life. You have a 45% chance to be incredibly far behind because all you did is give five treasures. Okay, cool. Maybe you can abuse that, whatever, right? It's not going to be good. 45% chance to have a pretty shitty draw spell, but at least it's colorless. And you have a 5% chance to pull a Godfarer statue out of your deck and lock your opponent out of the game. I hate this because of that. It's super high rolly, and this card is probably just good enough that some jackass is going to build a deck around it and take it to an FNM. And I'm going to hate them for it. Because if you go turn one Llanowar Elf, turn two this card, turn three crack it, you roll in that 20, you pull a Godfarer statue out of your deck and you've just won the game. Because your opponent probably can't cast any spells. I will say though, one of my favorite mechanics of all time in Magic is treasure. So I'm very pleased to see them just being like, it's, it's almost evergreen at this point. Treasure is everywhere in like almost every set. And uh, it's that's awesome. I love Treasure as a mechanic. I think it's really cool. It should be evergreen. This card's cool. I don't mind the RNG thing because I come from Yu-Gi-Oh, where there's way more of it than there is in Magic. So I mean, it's it's a card game. There's RNG anyway, but this feels like it just like piles in on top. Yeah, I get that. And my problem with this is there's there's another card. It was it's way more recently spoiled. But again, this was a limited card. I think it says when it attacks, you roll a net twenty. Uh, you roll a d twenty. I think 1 through 10, exile the top cards you can play at this turn. Uh, 11 through 19, exile the top two cards you can play at this turn. Net 20, exile the top three cards. Probably a limited card. It give, it brings the excitement of rolling D20s to your magic game. You probably play a pre-release. Maybe you pick it up in a draft. That card is awesome. And I love that because it perfectly takes what uh, an exciting element of D&D and is a very good way of bringing it into magic. Because, contrary to popular belief, when people play D&D, rolling a nat 20 doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. It just means you get the best possible outcome. So if you walk into, like, an orc clan, and you tell the, the war chief to go fuck himself, and you roll a nat 20 on your intimidation, it's not oh, I'm so intimidated, I'm leaving. And it's like, no, I respect your effort. Now please walk out before I chop your head off, which I would have done if you didn't roll a net 20. So this idea that the net 20 is a godly outcome, I don't like. And it just brings this ridiculously swingy idea into the game. It's like putting three lands in your deck and saying like, yeah, but my highest team speed spell only needs three lands. That's like, that doesn't mean that there should only be three lands in your deck, right? It, it reminds me of that. And therefore I, I don't like it. As a limited mechanic, it's amazing. It is a perfect limited mechanic, but I don't want any of these cards to be good enough to be seen outside of limited. That would frustrate the hell out of me. Speaking of limited, uh, for those of you who are not aware, if you go play a uh, pre-release for uh, D&D, 
you get a spin down. No, a non-spin down d20. Yes. I was going to say a spin down. That's not a spin down. It's just a natural d20, a regular d20, which is awesome. I love them. Yeah. Keep, keep that in mind in, ca- in case people... I mean, if you have Dungeons & Dragon players, they all, tell you, they all have like 15 d20s at least, and you only need two. Yeah. Sometimes you need three if, you, if you're an elf. But uh, generally you need two d20s, and we all have like a million. So get... If you want to roll this, don't roll with a spin down dice. Because, I mean, it doesn't really matter. But often these spin down dice, they're either... They're more used for tracking and not actually for rolling, so they might not be balanced well because they just don't put the effort in because that's not what they're used for. Get a proper D20. There is a proper one in your pre-release pack. Make sure to throw with that one. It's like common courtesy, right? You you throw with a... If you roll... If you have a six-sided dice and like opposing sides don't add up to seven, you're also like, this is a weird dice. I'm going to grab another one. Mm-hmm. Just common courtesy, but it, I, I don't think people are going to lynch you for it because they should be kind of random anyway and you're pre-release, whatever, but thing to keep in mind. Speaking of elves, let's pivot to a card that you love instead of hating. Oh, It is Circle of Dreams Druid. It's triple green for a 2-1 elf druid. You can tap it and add green mana for each creature you control. Elvish Arch Druid, baby! I am so excited for this card. So, okay, I know you're excited. I know you're happy. But I'm going to burst your bubble a teeny tiny bit. At least I'm going to halfway pop your bubble. Okay, you ready? Yeah. You're hyped for this in elves, correct? Yes. This is better in monogreen. Like just straight up monogreen walkers. They will play this and it'll be way better. Is it? Yeah. They're all, they've already been trying to play the old growth troll. And they'll, they'd rather play this because they want to go as big as uh, possible. I, don't, I mean, it gives three devotion, but I don't actually think it's good in that. It's that good at they, uh, that day. It doesn't go very wide. Yeah, it does. It goes dork, dork. It runs four elf or four of each elf. It runs uh, the, uh, what's it called? The Burning Trimissary. And then it runs, it usually ran either Jailet Ranger or Elvish Visionary. What is that? The one that draws you a card? Don't don't we... Yeah, but like, don't we don't we have three drops in Pioneer that tap for two? Because I kind of feel like you'd rather have like something more consistent because your deck isn't built to go wide, though it can, I guess. It runs a lot of random shit. Yeah, but I think Mono Green is just like such a uh, a glass cannon de- It does give three devotion. It's like, yeah, that and it's a glass cannon deck already. Imagine going turn one elf, turn two... Um, I mean, you can go turn one elf, turn two this. You can go Burning Tree... Um, you just can't go turn one elf, turn two burning tree, also this, unfortunately. Um, so that's unfortunate. I think this this goes in mono green walkers. And Maybe. We go, I, I, we go back to the Vivian, pump your board stuff. And uh, what's the green? I mean, what's the green devotion payoff from Theros? I know we have uh, we have um, uh, we have uh, Gary, and then the the fanatic of Mogus. What's the green one? Nihilia's <laughs> disciple. Uh, from the original one, which isn't a very good card. Um, okay, if we ever get a... Uh... Oh, there is there is one that taps for mana equal to your devotion to green. Okay, that that's garbage. I don't want that. I think that is like the big green one. You you have Nykthos for that. The creatures aren't very good. Disciple and Ilya gave you life. Sedes and Petitioner ga- gains you life. So, 
I don't think the green payoffs are very good. It's just Nykthos gives you a lot of mana, and green is good at utilizing a boatload of mana. What if they gave us a devotion card for green where it just made, like, 1-1s equal your devotion? I don't know if that's a thing. That sounds like it would be a card. Yeah. Probably in white, though. <laughs> that's true. It might be in white. Um, this one will give you snakes with death touch. Um, anyway. Oh, oh my god, I would love that so much. <gasps> yeah, that would actually be really good, because that is a whole lot of blockers. That is, like, Hornet Queen level blockers. Um, but... To go back about Circle of Dreams, Druid, I am super excited for this in Elves because Elves in Modern, I think, has two starts that are sort of like when you your opponent doesn't interact and they're like, please don't have this, please don't have this, please don't have this. And it is turn to Arch Druid that people can't interact with if they can't interact with it. And it's turn to Heritage Druid. Um, Heritage Druid is never being printed into Pioneer because that card is way too good. Um, for people who don't know what it is, it is one green for a 1-1, one, one, and it just says tap three green creatures, add three green mana. That means you can do it with creatures that have just entered the battlefield. Um, and they can sort of like, every creature you play turns into a Llanowar Elf with haste, basically. Um, I've actually, this week, with a friend, because a lot of my friends play Modern, so I've been playing a little bit of Modern, and I've been playing Mono Green, uh, well, effectively Mono Green Elf Ball, uh, just tried to turn elves into a combo deck, and through the power of Heritage Druid, I play, and especially its interaction with Nettle Sentinel, I won't go into it too much, I think I played 30 elves in one turn in a game yesterday, and that is all because of Heritage Druid. That card is never, ever being printed into Pioneer, but maybe people remember me being mad when Kaldheim was spoiled, when Canopy Tactician was spoiled, and it was a four drop, and it was very reminiscent of uh, Elvish Arch Druid. And I was like, why? I don't know if we can get Heritage uh, Elvish Arch Druid, but we definitely can get better than this. And this allows for one of those two super scary elf starts where they go turn one dork, uh, turn one dork, turn two this. And if your opponent doesn't interact, you can cast two collected companies on turn three. And those are the type of starts that make you, like, win games on turn f three or four. And these ridiculously scary starts that just... You can go turn one dork, turn two this, and empty your hand on turn three. And Elves before in Pioneer, unless, like, you drew a hundred dorks, wasn't really able to do this. Unless you then, again, had a whole bunch of dorks and then your board just wasn't intimidating... Now you can go, like, turn one, turn two this, turn three, you can play Warmaster, Skemfar Avenger, tap this for five, play a dork, cast a Coco. Like, that is now your turn three, which is terrifying. And that's what I really like about this card. It gives that explosiveness that Elves is known for. And you could say maybe they could have seen if Elves could have a different identity in Pioneer, but lots of mana has always been the identity of the Elves deck, and that identity gets realized more with this card, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and I don't... And you can just hit it off Coco, and that was the difference with Canopy Tactician. A thing that can happen in Modern Elves is you go end step Collected Company, hit an Elf and an Arch Druid, and now you untap not with 5 mana if you play the land, but like with 12. 
And because you can hit this off Collected Company, where you couldn't hit Canopy Tactician off Company, you do this again. Obviously, the elephant in the room, this isn't a lord where Archdruid is. That's a big downside. Genuinely a very big downside. This makes it 75% of an Archdruid, but I am hyped for 75% of an Archdruid. Yeah, I like the card. I don't, I don't mind the identity thing with elves. There are certain archetypes where it's like, it is what they are. Like, you can't yeah. change that. Um, at the end of the day, Spirits is a tempo deck. Even a modern in it. But it's just a better one because they have Drawskull Captain and stuff. Anyway. Um, now, I don't know if it's fair to call this next thing a cycle. Because there's way more than five or ten <laughs> of these. Um, but I love the flavor of all of the you-blank-something cards. You come to a river. You see a guard approach. It's just like your DM saying, hey, this happens. And you get to choose one of your options. And it's essentially, we've seen these cards before. They're not anything new or uh, groundbreaking. Like, for example, you come to a river. It's one in a blue. It's an instant. Choose one. Return target now and permanent to its owner's hand. Target creature gets plus one, plus zero oh until end of turn, and you can't be, and cannot be blocked. But both of these things, these choices, have that flavor text we were talking about earlier, like with the owl bear, bear owl whatever um like that where it says fight the current or find a crossing your dm is providing you with a, uh, a scenario you're choosing what to do and you go from there and there's a plethora of these cards and they're so cool as far as flavor and a few of them are pretty damn good on top of that um like you see a guard approach is pretty good uh distract the guard you tap a creature for one it's one blue it's an instant um or you can hide uh, target creature control gains hexproof until on a turn. It's just a strictly, not strictly better, but it's a more flexible uh, dive down, for example. Um, yeah, like, okay, instead of my creature getting more toughness so I can get blocked, I'm just going to tap down your blocker and hit you. Exactly. And now you can block me, and now I actually get in for damage. Yeah, like, it's so cool. Um, yeah, I, I like, my, my favorite one's probably you see a pair of goblins. <laughs> it's uh you can charge them Creature, creatures you control get plus two plus oh until end of turn or you can befriend them and you just get two one one goblins <laughs> it's like hey nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a very D D thing to whenever you run into like any sort of npc yeah that you try and get them along and get the party to be bigger i have people in my play group who are notorious uh, i and i mean i doubt she listens because she doesn't play magic but even if she does she knows she knows she does this she tries to befriend, she's playing a druid, mm -hmm. and she tries to befriend literally every animal we run into and try and convince the animal to get along. We've had it now with a salamander, with a cat, with a monkey, like just any animal, like we're on a ship and the ship has a cat. It's like, oh, I'm going to try and get this cat to come along with us. And it's a very D&D thing, but I really like them flavor-wise because again, this feels super D&D. You come to a river. And they, they almost all, in my head, they are, comma, what do you do? Yeah. Is behind all of them. Yeah, exactly. That's my thinking, too. Um, my only problem is, is that these card names are so long. Yeah. And, like, I am going to, you come to a river, fight the current, your blocker. <laughs> like, that is a very long-winded way of saying unsummon. <laughs> okay, it's okay. We're bouncing stuff. Just You're playing magic. We're magic players. We'll be like, okay, uh, bounce, bounce your thing. Yeah, exactly. Like We, we know what yeah, it is. Play two mana, bounce your thing. Yeah. Right? So it, it's it's not the worst. Um, I, th I think a lot of people are going to default to that. I am just mostly thinking, Brad, 
coverage. Oh, yeah. Where it keeps you like, generally on coverage, we don't say bounce your card. We say you cast unsummon on the card because we try and get the audience to give them like an idea of what cards are being played. And now we're going to have to do, he is going to, you come to a river, fight the current, his opponent's creature. Hey, we'll laugh about it. It's fine. Especially because one of these is a counter spell. Yeah. So that's going to be really long. <laughs> now, speaking of awesome flavor, this might be one of my favorite mechan- or card designs around flavor I've ever seen in Magic. It's Gelatinous Cube. Alex, would you like to read out what Gelatinous Cube does? Oh, you're skipping some. Uh... Or did I just miss... Uh, it, I just... Oh, it's there. Yeah. It's closer than I thought. Gelatinous Cube. Yeah, this card's super cool. Uh, two black black for a 4-3. Ooze. When Gelatinous Cube enters the battlefield, exile target non-ooze creature and opponent controls until Gelatinous Cube leaves the battlefield. Then it has an activated ability, Dissolve. X in black. Put target creature card with mana value X exiled with Gelatinous Cube into its owner's graveyard. Yeah, and the first one was is uh, the flavor of that is engulf. By the way, oh yeah, yeah. So it it engulfs a creature, and then you can dissolve it by like no fuck you, you can never cast that again. It goes right to your grave. That is so. I look. I don't know how good this card is. The rate's fine. It's a four three that gets rid of the thing for a bit. Um, I kind of wish it had menace. I don't know why. I just think of that as like being a hard creature to like block. You need multiple people to get in front of it. No, the, no. The, on the other hand, you could think it's menace. On the other hand, it's very hard not to end up blocking this. The problem is you don't want to block this because it means you're being eaten by the queue. Yeah, it might be too good if it, if you had menace because then if they have two blockers, you go okay. I take one of those. Now you can't block it. Honestly. Th- this should engulf every time it has combat with a creature. Ooh. So if this gets like That'd be cool. blocked by a one eight, it then eats the one eight because it, they both survive combat. But that might be ridiculous and limited. Yeah, but it's such a cool card. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, one of my favorite cards in the set. It is such a good way. As we talked about the Tarasque being like, that's not really. This doesn't reflect what a Tarasque is, like how scary it is, how menacing it is. Again, aside from some tweaks that might make this card overpowered, this is what a gelatinous cube is. It is a perfect translation yeah. from D&D to magic. It's flawless, basically. And you don't need... Okay, this is... Within the scope of what is possible. It is flawless. This is what's great about this set so far, is like the flavor... If you're just a, 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 a magic player in general... You don't have to know all the lore behind D&D to understand that this is on point for flavor. Like, you look at this card, you read it, you're like, that's cool. That's cute. I like it a lot. But, like, you get that extra oomph yeah. behind it because, like, if you play D&D and you're, you think about that campaign you had, like, a year ago, and you're yeah, like, fuck, like, the cube killed all of us. I, I remember our... I remember this pal- our paladin finding a hidden door and the door opens into a dark hallway and he's like, oh yeah, I know there's baddies here. I'm going in. And he runs and he suddenly comes to a stop because he ran into a gelatinous cube he couldn't see, right? Like, and it brings that up, as you said, while being a super cool card for people who don't even play D&D. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. I-, I probably agree with one of my favorite cards in the set. Art is also just really good. The art's fantastic. I wish this had the uh, the storybook art uh, alternative like a lot of the other ones do. Yeah. Um, but doesn't it? Does it? I believe there is, uh, Brad. I believe there is a story alternative for a gelatinous cube. I don't see one. Oh, usually if you hover over it, but I, I'm pretty sure I saw one. No, because look, but anyway. there's like, if you look at like uh, Manticore, for example, it's, it shows the storyboard first, right? 
Oh yeah. I'm not sure then. Um, um, next, but well, you did uh, you did miss out on a card if we go in order, which I think is a really good card. Are you talking about the staff? Yes, the potential revival of is it Blitz? Uh, is it Blitz? Is it and Soul? Oh, okay, I think or some and Soul variety. Okay, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So we've got the black staff of Water uh, Waterdeep, one blue for an artifact, a legendary artifact. Importantly. You may choose not to untap this staff during your untap step. And then it has animate walking statue. Again, just flavor. One blue tap. Another target, non-token artifact you control, becomes a 4-4 artifact creature for as long as the black staff of Waterdeep remains tapped. Activate only as a sorcery. Hey Alex, what are we targeting with this? I think this is just a uh, Darksteel Citadel, Ornithopter. Oh yeah, Ornithopter. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a better skilled animator and we've seen yeah because is it uh well it mostly is it but and soul decks we've seen it um be we've seen it try skilled animator as extra copies of and soul artifacts so skill animator i think it's a one four um i want to quickly with that because it might be a one two. Oh, <laughs> i had it exactly on average uh yeah so that is a three mana one three and it says, when it enters the battlefield, target artifact you control becomes an artifact creature with base tower and toughness 5-5. Five, five. For as long as skilled animator remains on the battlefield. This is harder to remove than skilled animator. Now, that makes it more like, yeah, it's harder to remove. And, Brad, you can still be a Luris deck with this. That is true. And you can't be with skilled animator. And is it wants to be a Luris deck, I think. Well, I mean, okay, well. And you can do it again. So if you're... Art animated artifact dies, you just get to reanimate something else. Uh, animate something else. So it's repeatable. The only downside is that it's legendary and it's 1-1 one, one smaller. But it's repeatable. It's a 4-4, four, four, so it still triggers Ferocious. So you could still run Stubborn Denial in your deck. It allows you to be a Lurus deck. It's repeatable. And the source that is animating your artifact is harder to deal with because it's not a creature. So I think in many ways, this is... And if you're going to be a Luris deck, you have to go into white, right? Because you can't play Luris on in red or blue. Yeah. And what white card goes fucking great with this that the other one doesn't turn on? Uh, all that glitters. Exactly. This is an artifact to count to all, towards all that glitters where your other guy doesn't. Yeah. So I imagine this deck. So you can either dip heavier into this, stick to it, and go Shrapnel Blast. Uh, you can go Jeskai run this alongside all the glitters because the Jeskai variety or the even just the straight up Azorius variety obviously didn't run skilled animator because it couldn't because then it couldn't be a Luris deck. I don't know how many copies of this you actually put in that deck. It might legit be one. I could see it being two because you can't have too many animate effects before you're also going to need actual artifacts to animate. Um... But I think this is a... I would be shocked if not at least one copy of this shows up in Ensoul. Uh, I know people have been trying a little bit of Ensoul. That's why I thought of Jeskai, because I, I just saw a conversation on our Discord recently where someone said, like, after testing, at this point, I would say Jeskai is the best version. Mm. And I don't think it... I think this goes great in that deck. Yeah, I like it. I, I did not think of that. It's made for it. Yeah, I did not think of that. And I think that's, that, yeah, you've opened my eyes to that. Because I kind of gloss over that card. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like it. But um, 
Yeah, did not think about it as as much as you did. Now, one card I did think about quite a bit, Werewolf Pack Leader, for two reasons. All right, first things first. It's 2-2. Two, two. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's a two mana, 3-3, three, three, double green, human werewolf with pack tactics. We're back to that. Whenever Werewolf Pack Leader attacks, if you attacked with creatures with total power of six or greater this combat, draw a card. And you can pay three and a green to make it a 5-3, gains trample and loses its human stat now two reasons why this card is really catching my attention it is the really above rate solid green card we get yet again in a set and there's another one i i, I think that's kind of good as well but this is the best one so far that will be ultimately overlooked for all the more fancier cards. And at the end of the day, this will be the best card, not the best card, but this will be one of the best cards in the set. And the other reason, what's our next set, Alex? Innistrad, werewolves. We're going to werewolves first, and this is a fucking werewolf. This is going to be awesome. Look, there's no way we don't get something that's really cool to make it's... werewolves a deck. And even if we don't, even if we don't, that's the that's the ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. That's like, oh, this is this the potential of the werewolf tribal thing is so cool. Even if not, Monogreen Stompy loves this fucking thing. It's it hits by Coco. It's great uh, on rate kind of thing because you have the backup plan as if your elf gets pushed, you can just play it on turn two. Normally, it's still three three. That can be a threat. We don't see this very often with mono green because you typically climb the ladder. You go bigger, bigger, bigger. You go Steel of Champion. You just go really good on rate kind of threats and just keep attacking them. They don't have a Knight of the Ebon Legion type of card like Modern Black has access to. They kind of do an experimental ooze or like Pelt Collector, but it doesn't carry the same oomph and it, and it takes a bit slower to get there because Pelt Collector, you can't just activate and make it bigger to like start going through like Knight does. This you can. Now, if it, it's a 5-3. You can still get, you know, chumped and die. There are plenty of cards in Pioneer that are three power, but the ability to just can't kind of go through with this and it can draw you a card. You can activate it if you're attacked with one other thing. Attack with this and an elf because you don't give a shit about your elf at this point. When you're at the point you can pay, you know, four mana, you do not care about your elf, right? So just, you know, pay four, swing in, draw a card, trade one of their things, and you might be ahead on board. I love this card. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think this card's really good. Um, I think it's slightly hampered in its future potential because of the mana cost being double green. Uh, because I would have the assumption that the werewolf deck is probably going to be gruel maybe Jund, and if we would, like, what we would get in the Innistrad set. Um, so that's a little bit hindering, but aside from that, this card's really good. And it is very, like, typical green that they get overstated creatures, but then their mana cost is restrictive. So it just falls in line with that. Also, uh, remember, uh, Nightpack Ambusher does say wolves and werewolves, by the way. So this does get pumped by that. Well, and I'll say that this is a human also. Yeah, just for fun. <laughs> so it's a human werewolf, but that can actually be relevant if we look at Innistrad werewolves, because they are generally humans on the front, werewolves on the back. But that means sometimes cards like Merolf Avonbrook give benefits to humans, but they flip into werewolves. But that means it's small, but like this guy's going to get some upside on the on the side for being a human. 
oh, there's this, you know, Mayor of Avonbrook. Oh, before that one flips, this is a 4-4 now. Yeah. Right? I activate it. It's a 6-4, it's a six four, which means it triggers itself when it attacks with pack tactics. Right? Like, those those type of things, it is it is nice upside. Uh, definitely human is arguably the best tribe in Magic, just because they're by far the most populous tribe. So having the human tag is always good. Then I think moving on to a... I mean, we can only talk about a third of this card, really. Oh, but the one third is so spicy. The Book of Vile Darkness. Three black, so black, 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 for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, if you lost two or more life this turn, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Important to note, this creature token enters untapped, where zombie tokens quite regularly enter tapped. So, always good. And then it says tap. Exile the Book of Foul Darkness, and artifacts you control named Eye of Vecna and Hand of Vecna. Uh, create Vecna, a legendary 8-8 black zombie god token creature with indestructible, and it gains all triggered abilities of the exiled cards. Okay, I have two... I have one, one very big thing I want to bring up first. Keep mind, as of now, we do not know what the other two cards do. Yes. Um, now, this is what I want to bring up. The first thing I thought of, though, when it comes to this card, is you better get Hexproof or Ward with this card, with this token, because how awful is it going to be when you put when you basically assemble Cauldra in Pioneer, and your opponent's like, uh... Brazen Borrower? Petty Theft? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Oops. Um, now, outside of that, this card's so cool. The art's cool. The flavor's cool. Alex, do you remember what my favorite card type in Yu-Gi-Oh! is? I am unsure. It's Ritual. Ritual cards. Ah, yeah, yeah, This... Ah, Man of Culture, I see. Yes. I, my favorite card of all time in Yu-Gi-Oh! is Relinquished. And I I love summoning cards. That's why uh, there was an archetype called Vendreds that came out a few years ago. And it was this, these, like, zombie ritual cards. And we're like, oh, this actually looks like a, a legit ritual deck. Also, Necroz is a, one of my all-time favorite decks as well. Another ritual deck. So I love cards like this, where it has that ritual vibe of, like, flavor. Of, like, you have to get multiple pieces to summon this bigger thing. Um, and I, I, I absolutely love that with all of my heart. I would assume that Vecna is going to be really strong. Yes. Because you need to exile the Book of Foul Darkness and artifacts you control with these names. Now, these aren't going to be zero mana artifacts, I'm pretty sure. What if they are, though? <laughs> what if they are? <laughs> I'm going to assume... I'm assuming... I mean, that would probably make it better, because you play the Book of Foul Darkness and just immediately crack it. Well, what if, what if they're just one, two, three? But I doubt... Like, as far as I know, this is trying... I don't know these items in particular, but I believe Vecna and like the Hand of Vecna are... Pretty freaking spicy artifacts in the D&D world. I don't think they're going to be one and two mana. Mm. I would assume this is the lowest CMC one. Unfortunate. I If I bet it probably goes three, four, five. Now, if you go three, four, five into those cards, that means you've spent, um, hold up, math, 12 mana. So you're probably going to get a really good payoff. For yeah. But in the meantime, like this card's just already good. Uh, if you play this in a non-mono black deck, right, I'm going to shock in a blood crypt and play this. I'll get a 2-2. Um, I'm going to thought seize you and get a 2-2. Yeah. You know, I'm going to activate my castle lock twain and get a 2-2. So there's plenty of ways in black to lose two life 
and get these this stream of zombies. And again, because they are untapped, it makes a really big difference. And we can play Gary in this deck because it's triple devotion. I mean, that would also be a way to cheat out all these artifacts. Well, if they're all going to have costs like this, yeah, might be might be cool in non-budget mono black devotion because this deck's not going to be cheap then because they're all mythics and yeah but this is so well i'm going to assume they might all be mythics so cool yeah i mean i'm actually really i i haven't had i haven't had like that little like you know itch to play a jank deck really badly until seeing this card and i'm like fuck i do not care if it's bad give me it i will play mono black devotion <laughs> i will make this deck work um, I want to assemble Cauldra in Pioneer, basically. Oh, this is such a cool card. This is this is probably currently my favorite card in the entire set. But I am incredibly biased because I like the ritual stuff so much. <laughs> also, my inner edge ward is like, yes, summon demon thing, do it. V vile darkness, like my soul. <laughs> yeah, it's dude. You're summoning a black zombie god, and oh. Oh, it's so cool. All right, look, if... if, the, if the, the, the hand of Vecna is probably going to be spoiled by like three days grace or something <laughs> on their Twitter. Oh, no, it would have to be... Um, uh, what, what's a, what would be a good band for that? Um, well, Ghost would be a cool one. Um, I think Ghost would be cool. Uh, Slaughter to Prevail would be cool. I mean, any, any black metal band would be fun. Um, if you haven't listened to Slaughter to Prevail, by the way... Alex Terrible is so fucking good. Oh my god. His, his name is Alex Terrible. He's great. Phenomenal vocalist. <laughs> um, that would be such a such a good quote. Alex Terrible. He's great. I, yeah. um, well, wasn't Ivan? Wasn't But before we before we get stuck, Brad, we have a lot of spoilers to talk about before you go on a music rant. No, no, this isn't this isn't that it's actually a history rant. It's not even a rant, it's just a question. Wasn't wasn't Ivan the Terrible originally Ivan the Great? And his nickname changed? I believe there are two people. Oh. But I'm not sure. There's Alexander the Great, who saw... Yes. Who, not confirmed or not, but there's the um, the knot of, like, all the, like, ropes and shit, where um, he went to it, and, like, it was, if you solve it, you basically, like... It's like getting a wish, or you, you get, like, all your dreams come true kind of thing. Like, you, you eternal luck and prosperity, essentially. And it's just this this giant clusterfuck of rope that's like as big as my tv in front of me and and you have to untie it he walks up to it allegedly um this is one of those myths about him and he just takes out a sword and cuts it in half and he walks away <laughs> 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 which i hope is true because that's one of my favorite stories oh my god i love that so much just like oh i get eternal prosperity and luck for the rest of my life and everything goes my way as a conqueror <laughs> just <laughs> do it uh i mean he was very successful so maybe to, to a point yeah maybe it helped yeah to a point uh so the next card i want to talk about i kind of glanced over this and then i was messaged by epic um who is our enigmatic fires player at least was uh, and he's like, yo, this card's really good. And like, he, he, Yeah, he messaged me too about this one. It's like, oh yeah, this card actually is really good. It's Moon Blessed Cleric. To, I think the only thing I made with this was make a joke on Twitter. I think I did it with this card. It is two and a white for a 3-2 human elf cleric. Oh, yeah, yeah, because this answers the age-old question of half elf, half what? Because half elf is a race. Yeah. Just like half orc. And then the, so it's like half elf, half hmm. Apparently they're all half human. 
or half cleric, but that's not really right. <laughs> you aren't really born a cleric. Well, that that makes sense. Humans are disgusting, and we fetishize things, so that would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot of sense. Uh, anyway, it has divine intervention. When moon blessed cleric enters a battlefield, you may search your library for an enchantment <laughs> card. No, keep, keep reveal yeah, it shuffle the deck and put it on top of it hey you know what card you can search up with this well you can divine intervention and search up divine intervention <laughs> it's an eight mana enchantment <laughs> what, what card is this? it's it's old as shit i don't even, i don't even think it's modern legal is it the one that leads to a draw uh it's a it's one of the wonky ones it's like a fucking old card oh yeah it's that card that leads to a draw yeah it enters with two intervention counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove an intervention counter from it. If there are none, no intervention counters on it, the game is a draw. <laughs> okay, that is really good, actually. I didn't think of that. Um, but yeah, this is... Uh, it finds your fires on curve. Mm -hmm. It finds enigmatic incarnation. Um, obviously, you can like... When your enigmatic incarnation is out, you can go up to two. You can sack two drop, grab this, and grab any enchantment in your deck um so yeah it's just really versatile it comes with a reasonable body right i would say i mean this is a two drop with an enlightened tutor stapled on it for like no lost rate uh, three drop two mana for three two three yeah but three mana uh enlightened tutor is one drop yeah so you get a sorry maybe i don't know what i said wrong i'll rephrase it two mana three two but you take one mana for your Enlightened Tutor and just slap it on top of this card. So you've taken two cards that are pretty good on raid, and you just staple them together. Um, when Without giving it, like, you know, making it like a 2-1, which would be like the stats of a 1-drop. Oh, you were really confusing me. I, you're combining two cards. I'm like, Alex, it's not two mana, is what I was stuck on the entire time. Like, this is three mana. Why are you saying oh. two mana card? You're taking you're taking two mana worth of creature and adding one mana worth of really good spell. Okay, I, I understand now. And now you have a three-drop. <laughs> I understand now, okay. You were, you were doing the ultimate math thing. I thought you were just saying, like, look at the value. It's two mana, three, two with a thing on it. Like, it's it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then moving on, skipping over the one terrible card uh, to Ebon Death, or... <laughs> I like this card a lot. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> All right, Brad. <laughs> it's adult gold dragon. It's a th five mana, four, three, three red and a uh, white. It's just a dragon with flying lifelink and haste. Also, I haven't read the flavor text yet. I'm going to read that now. Gold dragons are the greatest of the metallic dragons in size, power, and wisdom, and often take it upon themselves to safeguard mortal commun uh, communities from evils that might threaten them. Cool. I like it. I just like the card. I'm not saying it's great, but I like it. I was about to say, because this card is very adult dragon, because you're going to get fucked if this is in your deck. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i had that pun in my head for a while um is that a pun but no this i guess kind of it's very it's it's i mean it, it, it's very on the nose i guess i guess it's more of that but no i mean this card is it, it has three toughness yeah i look at this i look at gold span dragon i look at glory bringer like why would this ever be in your deck i wish it was a, if it was a four four what if it was a three four they flipped it around I would be saying the exact same thing. All right, thing. well, fuck you. Okay, we're moving on to the black one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have Ebon Death Draco Lich. 
It's a four mana five two flash flying enters the battlefield tapped. You can cast from your graveyard if a creature died this turn, not named this boy. Holy shit, this is cool. Yeah, the, the art is phenomenal as per usual. Uh, I love the line. You can flash it in and enter tapped. <laughs> I don't look, I, I see people memeing on that like crazy, and I'm like, before going to blockers. <laughs> Put a tapped creature in the play. <laughs> yeah, you can't ambush something and be like, oh, I'm going to block it. But you can just like end step effectively like I have it. Um, but yeah, I think this card is so cool. Um, now, obviously, my first thought was uh, Rakdos Pyromancer, but then you can't play Luris, which is a, is a downside or something. But then I was like, ooh, John Sacrifice, where you just go like, this is copies five or six of uh, Corvold. Now, it's not Corvold. Okay, it's not the draw card, get counters, food, blah, blah, blah. But it's a big later game threat that is quite scary and synergized as well because you go cat, sack, here's a dragon. Like, that's that's really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was thinking of it more of a control card. Kill your creature. Okay, your next threat isn't threatening enough. I'm just going to play this instead of countering your next thing or whatever. Yeah. I like it in that way. You can discard it early on in the game to maybe like like a thirst for meaning, get some more value out of that. In that way, I don't know if it's just not too dirty, but it's really great value. Um, if you're playing a control deck and your opponent boards in a magma spray, you're probably doing pretty well for yourself. Uh, so I like that. Um, but obviously, yeah, with something like Cat Oven, it is actually way easier to enable. Yeah. Because you don't have to rely on your opponent playing creatures because that's what can get a little bit awkward just reminds me of when i tried playing bone dragon in standard not very successful <laughs> this is this is what bone dragon should have been this is this is like yes they looked at that like oh yeah let's do that um this is really cool uh we didn't go over the white one though of the legendary dragon so far which like the one that it, um, it's a four three dies and it becomes a uh an equipment an equipment with the you you tap a creature when you swing. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost more for the sake of that. There are more cards here that I would love to talk about, but the problem is we're going to run out of time. That's more. We can always, when we have time left at the end, we can always go back and talk about some cards that we feel like we should have mentioned. Well, um, I definitely want to talk about white. White? You mean the white dragon? No, no, no. White. Like W-I-G-H-T. Oh, white. Yeah. Um, I want I want to quickly touch on two cards that are in between that. Very quickly, Dueling Rapier, uh, one red for an equipment, flash, when it enters the battlefield, attach it to a creature, equip creature, get plus two, plus zero, and it has an equip for four. We've seen more equipment payoff recently, um, and this is just a very good enabler for a deck that wants this as a payoff. The first time, the first equip is for free, something we've seen a lot recently to make equipment more worth it. Pretty good rate. Uh, it's cheap enough that it might even sometimes be like an artifact payoff. It's a nice combat trick. It works well with like, you know, with some maybe like double striking threats, like or the one one goblin from uh, from Zendikar that like gains haste when it's equipped. Because you don't have to do it in combat, but it does have flash. Um, I guess the flavor here is that like someone throws you the rapier and you catch it, and now you've oh, yeah. you've got the that, advantage. That's cute. But look at, so we're looking in the, we're sorting Mythic Spoiler by date. And what I, all I can see is just her happily challenging Evan Death. 
and be like, ha ha, because <laughs> they're right next to each other. <laughs> Got you now, dragon. And he's just like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and funnily enough, the plus two power is enough to kill them <laughs> <Yeah>. death. <laughs> My one weakness. Right so here. Like this looks like this looks like it's just equipped to a one-one human. And like it attacks it to Abedeth and it blocks and someone chucks it a rapier and he looks at her like, oh my god, did I just die to this sword? <laughs> uh, I assume the next thing you want to talk about is you find the villain's lair. Yes. Um, so you find the villain's lair. What do you do? Well, it's one blue blue for an instant. Choose one. Foil their scheme. Counter target spell. Learn their secrets. Draw two, then discard two. Can I say that I would have really liked if instead of take this could have been like something with spells and it could have given spell names because I would have loved the line counter spell counter target spell as an option on a card rather than being the card counter spell I I, I miss that but this card is pretty nice um, I always like the idea of counter spells that are sort of modal. Same with neutralize, being able to cycle is something I like. Uh, it allows you to either put it in more decks than a traditional cancel would go in. I know you mentioned Phoenix. Yeah. Um, when this card brought up, like, we don't know if it's good in Phoenix, but this is something that you could consider in Phoenix. I just don't know what's good in Phoenix. Um, I, I see it and I'm like, it kind of does <laughs> what I feel like is good in Phoenix. It seems expensive to me. But then I look at a Phoenix list and they're, they're running like 91 of us as if they're like a commander deck. And I'm just like, okay, sure. <laughs> Here you go. Here's another one of. Um, I like the idea with these cards is that cancels that are modal. So again, I consider cycle modal. Can, can allow you to run more cancels. Because the problem you get when you start running five, six, seven cancels is that you start drawing counter magic while your opponent has stuff on board. And you're like, yeah, but I actually need to be killing things that are on the field now rather than preventing things from entering. And this is the type of card that allows you to run more cancels, um, which could be nice if there is a meta that is like Niv, which you want a lot of counter spells against, and aggro, where you don't. And it's like, well, how do I go? How do I go about my main deck now? Uh, and now you could say, well, instead of like for Sinister Sabotage, which is only is really good against Niv, but actually kind of crappy against Burn, I'm gonna run four or even a two-two split with Find the Villain's Lair, which is reasonable against both. And I like that a lot about this card. I don't know if it's good enough. Aside from that. Um, if it actually is going to see play, but it is flexible enough to the point where it would not surprise me at all if it actually does. Um, okay, so I have... I was just kind of skimming ahead. I have one, two, uh, three, four. I guess four cards I really want to talk about. Um, and I can talk about them very quick because my points are very easy. So the first one's white. Um, it's a 3-2 zombie soldier for two one in a black white enters the battlefield tapped it has life drain which says whenever a creature dealt damage by white this turn dies create a tapped two two black zombie creature token and exile that card um yeah so 
we've been wanting it's been a while since we've gotten a solid zombie uh creature um there's a card that zombies in pioneer would play sometimes as like a two of maybe even maybe even more it's a grave marshal the double double black three two um i think this is just a little bit better than that um in zombies so you just play this instead it has the the ability to possibly like either you know trade and replace itself with a 2-2 or if you're going against the right deck it just starts forcing them to chump it and then it's like i'm gonna keep growing now essentially we're growing the army um which is what you want in zombies uh, i like the card it's nothing super fancy it's it's it might just be not good enough for the deck in general because it's a very conditional thing. But the stat line of a three, two for two, um, I think is fine. Yeah, I think I think white is a solid card uh, in a zombie style aggro deck. You would definitely want it. And it's not a zombie payoff. So it could even serve in just a regular black aggro deck. It doesn't have to be um, the other one. Uh, an actual zombie deck. Now, one thing that dawned on me while we were talking about this, and I'm actually very surprised thinking about it and that I hadn't thought about it before, we see a lot of either old or unusual uh, creature types in this set, or even new ones. Just on this one, I see on this page, I'm seeing eight cards right now. Orc Ranger, a bird, a beholder, a goblin barbarian, a zombie soldier, another goblin, and an elf bard. Brad, where is the party mechanic? Yeah, I, I was going to mention that, and it's like, I don't know. Um, I, I'm going to be very shocked if at the end of the day, it's not in this set. Also, have you seen some of the advertisement for, uh, for this, like on Magic's Twitter and things like that, or like the ads they put up? One of their taglines, Alex, is... Gather your party, drop in with Dungeons and Dragons, for, uh, like Adventures of Forgotten Realm. They literally have the tagline "Gather your party," and there's a party mechanic that it might not be in the set, which is insane to me. Like we thought it was the set to bring. Like we thought it was just a, a guarantee back when Zenicar. Ah, uh, yeah. I I didn't even I didn't even consider it an option. I was like, yeah. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have this right now. Maybe maybe we just end up finishing with like a total of a cycle or maybe total of ten cards because they don't want it to be like a crazy thing in limited and they just have like some rares or whatever and like just to help round out the party mechanic um, and we'll see that in the latter half. But yeah, if there's if it's not there, it's it's really weird. A very strange. I mean, party was kind of doomed the mo the moment base camp uh, base camp was decided to enter tapped. <laughs> that that kind of doomed party already. But yeah, I'm really surprised that um, that we don't see party, and even like we're not even seeing like bliss. Uh, blizzard wizard has done the standard thing again where so many things where like dude with a sword for some reason isn't allowed to be a warrior here 
Like, we don't have the creature type fighter or the creature type barbarian. Well, I mean, we do have barbarian, uh, but the creature type fighter isn't in, as far as I know, because it's too generic. Well, why didn't you just make all fighters warriors then? Why are some soldiers or why are some cards maybe knights when they didn't have to be knights? Like, it, it's so strange that party is just not finding anything in the gather your party set. Yeah, really weird. Really, really weird. Though, you want to know what the next card is that I want to just briefly say uh, is going to be in Pioneer? Five mm -hmm. million percent. And it's going to be in your favorite deck Ooh. to play against. What's your favorite deck to play against? Oh, Lotus, and you're talking about Wish. Yep. <laughs> we already run Masterminds Acquis uh, Acquisition. Uh, this goes in the deck. Wish goes in the deck. For one Lotus Field tap, you get to Wish. Now, it's conditional. You have to do it that turn, but I think Lotus wants to do it that turn anyway if they grab the card. If you're playing Lotus and you Wish target something and you don't cast it that same turn, you're not in a great spot, and you're not playing the deck optimally. This is one less mana than Mastermind's Acquisition. This is also one less mana than the Wish thing for... Um, Fae of Wishes. So, yeah. Yeah, this is going in Lotus. 500 million percent. Yeah. Th this could, like, just eke out Gilmoying off a turn earlier. Where you're doing, like, all this math. Oh, I'm going to need one mana here. And now you don't. Oh. Because and you saved it. Here. Where are my manners? Wish is two and a red for a sorcery. You may play a card you own from outside the game this turn. That's it. Straight up. It is... Wish, Wait. grab it, play it. It is very underwhelming for... It, it is this problem where, like, these mechanic, These, like, terms didn't mesh well. Because wish in magic has been a thing for a very long time. Wish means you get something out of your sideboard. Right? We, we all know that. Wish in D&D &D is the most powerful spell there is. Because Wish allows you to, A, cast any weaker spell that is available to you in D&D. In, in &D. So the spells have nine levels, uh, and this is a level nine spell, and it allows you to cast any level eight or lower spell. You could just say, I would like to cast a chain Lightning, and now it happens that you've cast Wish. Or, but you need to do a Monkey's Paul, so your Dungeon Master might be able to mess you up. You can do literally anything so but again it's monkey's pole there's an example given in a handbook where it says if you wish for like someone to be to not be there it might transport you ahead in time to the point where they've died of old age like that is like the thing that can happen in which and that would like quote unquote kill your character because you're no longer in the same timeline but um you're trapped in that yeah that's like weird. yeah so now you get wish like the D D spell and it's super boring <laughs> it's good but like yeah but it's flavorful for magic because wish is that in magic so yeah they, exactly they had to do exactly it. so that is they, yeah they went magic first because it does have to make sense and taking the vocabulary of your player base in mind because i mean obviously a lot of these cards were called wishes glittering wish burning wish whatever mm -hmm. but like even on things like masterminds acquisition we have started referring to it as wishes our cyber we call it literally a wish board yeah so 
it would be strange to have Wish do something that isn't interacting with a wishboard. So it makes sense. It's just too bad, really. Wish could should kind of say, name any card in Magic you can play it until end of turn, but that would be unbelievable. <laughs> so there's a good reason we don't do that. Uh, next card is uh, definitely worth bringing up just because it's the third Planeswalker in the set. Zeriel, uh, it's blocking the name, Archduke of Avarice. Avernus? Um, it's two double red for a legendary planeswalker that comes in with four loyalty. You can plus one. Creatures you control get plus one and plus oh. They gain haste until end of turn. You can just go zero. Create a one one red devil creature token with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. So the uh, the foot light fiend or whatever. Um, and then there's the minus six. You, it's just a uh, Tybalt. Yeah. Uh, War of the Spark Tybalt. It's the exact e, but same. But even though Foot Life was before that Tybalt, because it was from Ravnica Allegiance. Yeah, okay. But if you have your Tybalt tokens, bring them. Yeah. In case you pull uh, this. Minus six, you get an emblem with, at the end of the first combat phase on your turn, untap target creature you control. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. Um, so the combat thing is really good however it kind of feels bad that you only untap one creature instead of all of them like most traditional get an extra combat spells work um you'll get like things like um uh what's the one from amonkhet that the exerts combat uh uh celebrant that that's one um i think this card's cool i think it's fine um i think it can go in gruel um I know the first thing everyone always looks at when this like stuff like that is like, oh my god, double red or like the, the werewolf one, double green. Like I think Gruul is good enough in terms of its mana to be able to get away with a double card like this. Now you're not playing Torbran in Gruul for a reason, so you can't make that work. But I think this can work. Um, it's just like a, a bushwhacker on a planeswalker. It's good. Is it great? No. It has built-in protection, though, which we've seen less and less with some Planeswalkers, um, which is nice. And the emblem is nothing to scoff at. It's really powerful. And I think Gruul, because because of the emblem, because Gruul wants to go wide to a, to a, in a sense. You can I, I like the ability that you can play this, and then you can play, like, you know, a little bit bigger creature that doesn't have haste, or maybe you can play a creature with riot and choose the counter and then give it haste with the plus one um that kind of thing curves well into gargoroth i guess yeah and then the minus six is like oh i'm gonna target my big creature <laughs> and not because if you, you do it if you do this in a go wide deck it sucks because you have a bunch of like two twos and like one ones or three ones that kind of thing and you're like i'm gonna untap my three one and do another combat and your opponent's like sure block and you, you get upset where with Gruul, you can be like, I'm going <laughs> to untap the big Gargroth, another trigger, draw a card again, or make another beast or whatever. Like, that's where I think of this card. Um, we'll see how it works, though. I don't know if this is... This is not a top five card for me, but I think it's worth testing in, like, a Gruul shell. Yeah, it's it's like a Gruul monsters card. I, I mean, I just look at this card, and I think of Chandra Torch of Defiance, and I'm like, there is no way that this card beats Chandra Torch of Defiance. Maybe it does in the right deck. I, I think this card might be better than Chandra in a gruel try-get-you-dead deck, because Chandra, I think of, like, 
that extra piece of like um it's a mid-rangey close to, like has the aggro potential but it's not quite there you need the ability to like remove things clear the way with chandra uh get card advantage with the plus and when you do ult you're like yeah yeah, yeah get fucked so it <laughs> you know different stuff uh yeah yeah I, i'm i'm not sure but also not willing to say it's not good like, i could i could be wrong sure um there's really uh, there's two cards two cards left i mean i'll i'll touch the next one because it's close to it yeah uh fly uh one blue enchanted aura enchanted creature has flying and whenever this deals combat damage to a player venture into the dungeon this is the cheapest probably the cheapest most consistent way there's one card that's a little bit more consistent but we'll talk about it but because it is also a creature but this is a very consistent way to continuously trigger venture into the dungeon yeah it's curious obsession but venture yeah so this is what i was talking about earlier um together with another card which i did mention then where like how close is is venture closer to a scry or closer to a draw because otherwise i mean because you don't have to attack and it doesn't give the plus this is more like curiosity but on a curious obsession but like curiosity but it comes with evasion if venturing is close to a draw if it's close to a scry it's far worse so if you're looking at a deck that continuously wants to venture into the dungeon you are quickly drawn to blue for that same card i mentioned earlier and we'll mention again a bit when we get to it blue has the cheap like death by a thousand cuts style deck that i think you want to be when you venture into the dungeon a lot right i don't want to hit i want to hit you with a one one for one that ventures into the dungeon i don't want to hit you with a four mana five five because why does it matter if i venture into the dungeon if i kill you in four hits so that's type that type of style is i think what would probably be the dungeon deck uh, and this is just a super good enabler yeah art's also great as per usual this guy jumping over a lake of lava like of course you do well, flying over, I suppose. I mean, we can't expect anything less from a D&D set to have, you know, exceptional art, right? The, the art's been great this set. True. Um, now, remember when I said about the uh, the Ebon Dragon? That my first thought for that deck was, like, Pyromancer, but you're like, oh, well, you can't play Lurus? Yeah. What if I told you there's another card just like that that you can play in Pyromancer because you can play it with Lurus. It's Grim Wanderer. It's a two-mana 5-3 with Flash. And it has Tragic Backstory. Cast this spell only if a creature died this turn. What card do we have in that Rakdos Pyromancer that is arguably the best card in the deck? Besides Cro- besides Croxa. Croxa, which dies. Yeah, Croxa dies. Oh, you have a Croxa. I mean, Croxa dies. Yeah. And there's Village Rites, which we are... Oh, yeah. yes, of course. Wow. Which is an instant... This has flash. You can hold up village rights, which you already do in that deck. And you're like, yeah, I'll draw two cards. And either you already have this in hand or you just happen to draw this card from village rights. You're like, I guess I'll flash in a fucking 5-3-2. It doesn't have evasion. It doesn't have menace. It doesn't have trample. It doesn't have anything really cool statted. But it is a 5-3 for two. It's a 5-3 for two. It's got more stats than the dragon. Yeah, but the dragon is flying. That finishes games. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And if you're and like you said, if your opponent's siding in 
Magnus Ray for your dragon, uh, get fucked. Like, honestly. Though the- No, I meant more stats than the Boros dragon. Oh. I mean, look. <laughs> <laughs> I don't appreciate you hating on my boy like that. He's he's golden and he's beautiful. He's <laughs> he's like when you caramelize your onions sure. just the right way. That's his color. That nice golden brown. Grimwater is cool. I like this card a lot. I think this... Uh, I, I thought about this maybe in even mono black uh, aggro. Um, there's not as many synergies of like creatures dying, but like you have a lot of small stuff that you're just like... Eventually you get into that position where you're like your two ones can't get past or three threes or whatever. And it's like... <laughs> it's yeah. like... It's the meme. It's the Thor meme. You attack with Dread Wanderer and they're like... You can't stop me. Dreadwater dies like, I know, but he can't. You dropped the fucking Dreadwater. It was a 5-3. <laughs> and then you just bring back the Dreadwater because it's recursive. So you're fine because you're putting your opponent in position like, you have to block this because you can't just let me continuously smack you for two over and over again with my aggro deck because that's the point. So you're forcing them to block it, your recursive threat, and you're like, yeah, I'll drop a bigger thing. Um, I don't know how many you would run like maybe two i i also and i know i always bring this up for my perspective i also kind of like this in control because the clock is so fast yeah and again right you go two mana and you can and, and, and here i'm thinking thing. i'm not thinking a yeah, I'm not thinking like a counter spell control deck i'm thinking like a fatal push coligan's command style like maybe more mid-rangey mm-hmm. deck that just has like fatal push, maybe even run like shock or something. Like fatal push, shock, Coligan's command, heartless act. Uh you this could literally just be Ragdolls. This doesn't even have to have blue in it. Yeah. Where you just like three mana, push a thing, drop this, and then you just go removal, 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 and you have a four-turn clock of this card alone. Yeah. And again, the the big thing about this card, just like the dragon, it does not say cast the spell if a creature you control died this turn. Because when I skimmed over these the first time I read them... So cat all of them. Yeah, I thought, like... Like, I thought, like, you know, it would be... My brain just instantly threw in you control into the text. But it's not that. It's any creature. So if you killed their thing, you get a thing. It's great. I, l- I like the flavor of this with cat all of them. Like, tragic backstory... So this is always like a stereotype also in like the no stereotype, but like a very common like cliche thing in D&D where characters have tragic backstories because why else would you go on a deadly adventure? Like no one is like, oh, I'm having such a happy life and I've got a nice house and a wife and family and a good job. So I'm going to go into dungeons and probably die. Like nobody does that. So you probably have a sad story. So this is tragic backstory only if a creature dies. So probably like, someone died that like they knew or something but let's say you do this with cat oven <laughs> the tragic backstory is i threw uh, i cooked my cat and now i'm mad at the world <laughs> I, I mean maybe he was left to die <clears throat> and like the only option he had was to kill his one companion which is the cat but that cat's also like magical as shit and comes back yeah like i was i was stuck somewhere and i had to eat <laughs> It's like, I was sad, and I was starving, and there was, like, a snowstorm, so I had to eat my cat, and now I'm depressed. 
Like that, that would be like the, all right, I've got my next character backstory. But um There's also Wanty Mouse, and I know you want to talk about this one a little bit. It's even a it's even a goblin. They Oh, there's the what? Um, oh, make him a goblin. Oh yeah, he is a goblin. No, I think like yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a goblin, so like that works in D and D. And goblins warlock. would probably eat their cats if they're hungry. Kind of cool. Um, yeah, so this card I talked about earlier, it's Wanty Malison, which really sounds like a name to me when it would be legendary. But I guess a Wanty is a creature. I didn't actually know that. One on a blue for a snake rogue. Wanty Malison can't be blocked as if as long as it is attacking alone. When it deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. This is super a super good dungeon enabler. Because, again, I'm thinking of a deck with Fly, with this very mono-blue tempo-esque, where you just have one creature, and it's just slithering through the dungeons over and over and over as you interact with your opponent. Yeah. Right? Rogues. And you maybe have a one-drop that has... Yeah, rogues, a one drop with fly on it, or you just give this guy fly, and now every time you connect, you venture twice. Like, that's going to go very quick. Um, so, in that way, it's... I, th I think a decent way to evaluate, which I'm going to very quickly try and do. Yay, we're going to do math live. Is try and think of the, like... Uh, strength of the Mad Mage Laboratory. So in eight steps, sorry, seven steps, you scry six times, you gain a life, you make a treasure, um, let's say, you make, um, you draw two, and then with the exile, you draw three. So you've drawn five cards, and you've scryed six times in seven steps that is like three quarters of an opt every time you venture into the dungeon right getting about three-fourths of a scry and three-fourths of a draw that is actually really good right in like a mono blue tempo deck against something i'm not considering the free card you get to cast if you're playing mono blue tempo your average cmc is like 1.5 who cares um but getting to almost opt every time this connects is really good and mono blue tempo with a dungeon package for me looks like the way to go now maybe demir tempo rogue skill thief's guild enforcer this is a rogue to uh soaring sky thief and you have like a rogues slash dungeon slash tempo style deck because of one team, Allison and Fly looks to me like the most valid way to go so far. We're not even halfway through. I think this could obviously change. But that's my inclination at this point. Yeah, you could splash white if you go Demir for Triumphant Adventurer. Seen this one yet? I mean, it dies to a lot. Well, what does it do? But it's a two mana, one one. It's a white and a black for a human knight with death touch. As long as is uh, little bit, if I can talk correctly, as long as it's your turn, Triumphant Adventurer has first strike. Whenever it attacks, venture into the dungeon. The fact that it's an attack trigger is really nice. Putting Fly on this 
pretty cool. That's another creature that gets double trigger when it gets in with fly. Basically impossible to block. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then if you go Esper, you also have all the option of going into Hama Pashar, Ruin Seeker, which is conveniently next to Triumph Adventurer, which is the legendary human wizard. It's a three mana. It's one white and a blue for a two, three. And it's Panamonicon for ventures. Room abilities of dungeons you own trigger an additional time. So that's cool too. Don't go into Tomb of Annihilation when you've got this card on the field. <laughs> that would uh, be really unfortunate. It's all downside and then a legendary token. You do not need double of any of this. Yeah, the uh, the the venture and the dungeon thing is looking very interesting. Um, I I don't know. I have no idea how to evaluate it. This is a one hundred percent a like you test it no. and you figure it out from there. Um, yeah. And for me, uh, I think that's really all the, the cards I was super interested. Uh, I don't uh, know if there's any more for you. There's a couple I want to touch on, but some of them are almost more like because they're like, I don't know, proof of concepts or whatever. Um, well, one, I just want to be mad for a short second. Dungeon Descent, land, enters the battlefield tapped. Tap for a colorless, four tap. Tap an untapped legendary creature you control. Venture into the dungeon. Activate only as a sorcery. Why does this enter tapped? What is Wizard's obsession by making mechanic-related lands and then having them enter tapped so they suck? Honestly, you don't even play this in a venture. I'll take this. I am 100% sure that you don't. I'll take this one step further and be like, get rid of the untapped legendary thing. Just straight up, it should just be four tap venture. It should just straight up be that. And then that wouldn't even be that good. Four mana venture every turn. I, I could I could imagine tapping a creature. No. Send a no. creature on an adventure, Fuck but it. it doesn't have to be legendary. And make it enter ta- untapped. Yeah. I guess flavor-wise, you need to tap a creature because it makes sense, but mechanically-wise, it the should problem not tap a creature. With, care. I mean... I would like it because this would be really good for a control deck, but if it's four tap venture without needing a creature, if we just look again at the, especially the lair of the mad mage one, which almost all of it is just scrying and drawing cards. This is just a colorless castle Ventress. Ventress is the blue one, I believe. If you don't need to tap a creature. It is an always untapped. I mean, because I would also have it untapped. That's I think that's the most important part. This entering tap just means it's complete ass. Um, it becomes a colorless castle Ventress, basically, which I think is maybe a little bit too good. I don't think it's too far, but maybe a little bit too good. I mean, it, actually, it does also activate as a sorcery. So if you keep that on, that might actually not even be a problem because Ventress is an instant speed mm-hmm. thing. I mean, just literally everything about this card is bad. It enters tapped, it doesn't tap for colors, it requires a boatload of mana and a legendary creature, and you can only do it at sorcery speed. Literally everything that could be done to make this card worse has been done. And you needed, they did like five things to nerf this card, and they probably needed to do like one. Yeah. So again, unplayable now. Agree. Which is just frustrating. Um, then quickly touch on Varys, uh, Silvery Moon Ranger, one green green for a human elf ranger, um, three, three, reach, ward one, 
Whenever you cast a creature or planeswalker spell, venture into the dungeon. This, a trigger, this ability triggers only once each turn. And then when you complete a dungeon, create a 2-2 green wolf. This is the card I was talking about earlier. Uh, when we're talking about like some cards like this are going to encourage you to spam the shortest dungeon that you can afford. So if you can afford the downside, Tomb of Annihilation. If you can't afford the downside, you're going to run the mine. And these type of cards are going to encourage you to venture into the dungeon and venture into the dungeon often. And I think that's cool, right? I, I, I like that idea. Uh, but I just wanted to highlight this of like, this is a way to take the dungeon deck. The blue one does it for value. The green one, obviously more generous, but the green one is going to spam dungeons and might actually spam different ones. A lot of the white cards we've seen only care about completing a dungeon once because they anthem your team or they gain double strike, but they don't do anything on subsequent runs and they might not even be good at enabling the runs so they only care for doing it once and those are like the ways in which we're going to see the dungeon deck and i'm really excited that i'm already like i'm already having ideas on how to run dungeons in every way you could intend them run them run all of them um slow and steady race through them as fast as possible and that all these options are there is super cool to me already I just don't know if it's going to be good enough, but the fact that everything is already being like sort of like accounted for when we're literally halfway into the set, the spoilers, not even, I think, is I'm really happy about that. I, I've, I'm i interested in trying it. I, I don't know what venturing and dungeons are going to end up holding for. Look, I think it, I, I can believe it's going to be a standard deck. I can completely believe that, especially when Eldrain rotates. Yeah, especially the tempo one. That blue-black tempo-y one, I am 100% buying. That is going to be good enough for standard. Maybe not top there, but that is going to work in standard. Aside from that, I don't have particular cards. Just some that are, I find really hilarious, like kick in the door. Um, put a 1-1 counter on target creature. It gains haste and can be blocked by walls. Like, <laughs> I really like that one. And you venture into the dungeon. Uh, just take the side entrance. Um, I really like the very plain... The 50-foot rope is nice. It's a very iconic magic uh, Dungeon Dragon item. I just really like plus two mace, which just means a mace, but when you roll a d20 to try and hit something, you roll, you add two. So you're more likely to hit. I don't know if you add things to damage. I have never properly hit with a melee weapon in any of my D&D games in almost two years because wizards for life. Um, but... I just really like the one because of how simple it is. And it's such a... This is typically one of those cards that a non-D&D player that just gets the magic reads is like, what the... And every D&D player is like, <laughs> So I think just that's just... Like, you get past this in a draft. You're like, <laughs> And the person next to you like, what's funny? And they're like, uh, don't worry. I like it. Well, if you want to check out these spoilers for yourself, they're going to be continuing for the rest of the week. It is currently Wednesday. It's time of recording. There'll be more after this episode comes out this weekend, most likely. Um, and we'll definitely go over those next week. Um, but we will obviously have the link in the description to check them out yourself. You can read them along as you listen to the cast. Um, and yeah, reminders. We are the official podcast of the Play With Discord server. Uh, we are sponsored... Uh, by MTG Matchmaker. Uh, we have the little intro in the beginning that you heard. 
But again, if you want to bring your Discord communities together and play Paper Magic without actually like clogging up your Discord and having 90 different things, you can use that, play some games with other communities and not have to worry about that. Uh, we have Twitters. Um, you can follow Come Play Away for the Play Away uh, Twitter account. There is the podcast Twitter at um, Pyre Perspective. Alex, your Twitter is at Disciple of Bolos. And mine is at Bradsifer. We both tweet about stuff magic, um, him more so than I do. Uh, did you see that I'm hockey famous now, Alex? I have to uh, to quit. Yeah. I have to quit this podcast and just do a hockey podcast <laughs> now. Oh, you want to know the fun thing about that? So a big Instagram uh, page called Talking Hockey. Screenshot my tweet. Uh, my tweet. My tweet finished with about four and a half thousand likes. That single post that they did of screenshotting that and posting on their. Uh, it, their uh, their page for Instagram got like five thousand likes, and I was like, "Bruh, bruh, stole my <laughs> shit." But doesn't matter. Uh, we have other podcasts. We are the Pioneer Perspective, of course, and you can always listen to Pondering Popper, the Cicero podcast featuring Cali Kai's and Diego. They're great. Go listen to them. Popper's uh, a shit show right now, so I'm sure they have a lot of good stuff to say. Um, merch, Pioneer Perspective, and Playaway Playmats through Ink Gaming, who we are affiliated with, and finally. We love you. We thank you for the support. Like Alex mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we were ecstatic about the wonderful feedback we had on the last episode of like the uh, the kind of metagame thing um, that wasn't as in-depth the one we did a few months ago, but a bit more broader to welcome those back to Pioneer. Um, or if you're for the first time coming to Pioneer and you want to figure out what to play, yeah, check that out. Um, I'll have that in the description link as well. And um, yeah, that's it. We'll be back next week with more spoilers. And uh, hopefully we'll talk about party next week. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. This set's really cool. Um, but if there's no party, I'm rioting. <laughs> that just sounds like sort of like a different way to do the party. And we like, if it's not a party, it's going to yeah. be a riot. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, we love you. We appreciate you. You guys are the best. This would not be possible without you guys listening. And we hope to have you continue that next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.